air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, tonight we are reviewing the races at uh, Talladega Super Speedway as well as Salem Speedway. So definitely looking forward to a full night tonight uh, as we had all three series racing at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Uh, now, in our first half hour, we are going to uh, start with some updates from the ARCA East and West Series. Then we'll review the ARCA Menard Series race at Salem. Next, we're going to review the Truck Series race at Talladega and then the Xfinity and Cup Series race at Talladega, and uh, the latter of which, the Cup Series race, took place just earlier today. Finally, we'll have our NASCAR Hot Topic sound up with our fan for racing crew. And joining me for our show tonight is Sal Sagala, our co-host. Welcome, Sal. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Okay. Uh, we're going to get right into the Arca Menard series here. Uh, the Arca East and West did not race. Arca East has their champion and Sammy Smith. Jericho West has uh, a race coming up at Kerntown, or uh, actually it's All-American Speedway, uh, the Napa Auto Care 150 presented by Burko Redwood will take place on October the 9th at 7 p.m. Pacific time, and that is 10 p.m. Eastern time. You can listen to the radio at arcaracing.com, or you can follow live streaming at uh, NBC Sports Gold Track Pass. Uh, the next race for the Arkham Menard Series now is going to take place at Kansas Speedway. That is their season finale. The Reese's 150 will take place on October the 23rd, 6 p.m. Central, that's 7 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on MAP-TV. So uh, uh, let's go ahead and cover the Arca West points. I know that they don't race until next weekend. Uh, but just so that fans kind of know where the standings are. There are okay, let me uh, let me get there. I was working on. Go ahead and go ahead and get them if you can, sure. No, I was. Okay. We have a thunderstorm uh, over here. We haven't had a thunderstorm in a long time, and I'm waiting for the. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All sudden, out of the blue. drivers. All 10 of the top 10, Sal, have raced all seven races, which is unusual. In the ARCA East, uh, I think there's two drivers that have raced all of the races, or in the ARCA Menards, I should say. Um, Starting from the bottom and going up, Bobby Hillis Jr. is in 10th place, uh, followed by Bridget Burgess in 9th. Takuma Koga picks up the 8th spot with Todd Souza in 7th and Trevor Huddleston topping the bottom five in our top ten here tonight. Trevor is just 23 points back uh, from the lead. Uh, Moving on up the list in fifth place is Paul Pedronselli, Jr. He is tied with Joey East, just 15 points back from the lead. Then it's Cole Moore in third place, 14 points back. And in first, second place is Jake Drew, seven points back, and Jesse Love holds on to the lead as the defending champion in the ARCA West Series. Uh, So he has uh, two wins 
four top fives and five top tens in seven races for the Arca West so far. This is the okay. Yeah, you know what? Okay, I got I got kind of twisted here. Yeah, it's it's, with 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 uh, two well, they got the one race this weekend at All American Speedway, and then um, then they got their last race, which will be at Phoenix, which will be the championship race. So seven points separating the top two. Anything can happen. Especially at All American Speedway, the little quarter mile, little quarter mile track. Um, it's known for a lot of wrecks and a lot of aggressive driving. Right. Well, those top five drivers are just 15 points separating the top to the from the top spot to the fifth spot, and Trevor Huddleston is just 23 points back. So I think a lot can happen to change those rankings at All American Speedway. Yeah, I think most of it's going to come from uh, from Phoenix, where they have the bigger, where they have a bigger car. They'll have a bigger car count than they will of all American. Oh yeah. So, so I, I, I think that's what, point. Yeah, so I think that's where you're going to see most of the. You're going to see most of the. Um, the, the changes. Okay. Now, just real quick, a. Um, that there was posted that there's going to be, and you can read this at uh, ArcaRacing.com, Reese's Sweet Move of the Year will be determined by a Twitter fan vote. Uh, that's going to be pretty cool. Every race, they have a Sweet Move of the Race uh, sponsored by Reese's, and uh, they're going to take all of the uh, Sweet Moves of the Races and put them out there uh, throughout all 33 races on the Arkham Menard Series Pro platform in 2021. Uh, Fans will have a chance to vote uh, over a two-week period in November and December on the official Arca Twitter page. So the top top 32 Reefy Sweet Move of the Race Award winners will be seeded into brackets according to their vote totals that they received from friends who participated throughout the year. And any ties will be awarded to the winner and receive the highest percentage of votes. So from November, uh, the winners will then move up to the round of eight, and they'll keep doing this uh, from the end of November, uh, actually from the beginning of November until the final round, which will be uh, on December the 2nd. So uh, definitely you'll want to take a look at this because this gets in gives fans a chance to vote on what the sweet movie of the year is going to be for this Arkham and Art Series platform. Yeah, it's going to be neat, you know, to you know do stuff like that, you know, get the fans involved, more involved. And, um, you know, as everybody knows, you know, Arca West and Arca East, they're, it, I don't know, it seems like they're, they're dying a slow death. Um, car counts and just everything that's going on with the series. Well, we're hoping uh, that's not the case, of course, but uh, we'll have to kind of keep an eye on what happens next season. Hopefully um, that won't be the case next season, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and move over to uh, the recap, Jay, or Sal, of the uh, Arkham Menard Series race at Salem Speedway. That is one of the stalwart tracks in the Arkham Menard Series. 
uh, and they ran the Suit Chief PowerPex 200 uh, presented by Scott County Tourism at Salem Speedway on uh, this weekend. And uh, Jesse Love <laughs> kind of uh, short-circuited uh, Ty Gibbs' uh, plans for victory. Yeah, he did. He he got one of our snuck that victory off of Ty Gibbs. And, I mean, the season that Ty Gibbs has been having anyways, you know, he should be more than happy with, you know, with the – you know, the, the finish and, you know, and also, you know, that uh, all the accolades that came along with it. But, yeah, Jesse Love got in there and um, snuck that, uh, went away from him. He sure did. And then, but Ty Gibson still had a lot to be happy about because he also won the uh, Sioux Chief Showdown title that, uh, that was the season finale for. So he wins that championship uh, after Salem Speedway. So uh, Jesse got the race victory, but Ty Gibbs won that showdown title. Yeah, yes, he did. He he won it by a by a, by a, a, a pretty good margin there. Yes, he did. Do you want to cover those points real quick? Yeah, I had the twenty-two points difference. Is that what it was? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was 22, yeah. Ty Gibbs was a champion at 423 points, and then it was Corey Heim, 411, and then then it dropped all the way down to Nick Sanchez, who had um, 360. Other than that, there was only four drivers that really competed the whole season, that competed all 10 races in the season, so, of course, when you go down to Fort, Dad Moffitt, Jesse Love, Taylor Graham, Brad Smith, there, there's a huge there's a huge gap coming from from uh, from those drivers. You know, they're like 100 and, yeah. 111 points away. One of them is almost 200 points away. So um, it was a good season for Ty Gibbs, you know, to grab that, that uh, to grab the, you know, the, the, the championship um on actually six wins out of ten starts isn't a, isn't a bad uh, it's not a bad season. Not a bad season at all. He out of the ten starts he had ten top tens, uh, which is pretty amazing as to go along with those six victories. That's sixty percent of the races for the Sioux Chief Showdown that Ty Gibbs won. Uh, that's a pretty impressive year. Yeah, it is a really impressive year. Especially for for being um, his first his first uh, full season out there, and and a rookie, now, plus he you, got rookie of the year. He got yeah, and I'll tell you, Ty, the the second place driver Corey Heim actually also had ten top tens. Uh, he had the two wins uh, that you, the, in that group and seven top fives out of the group compared to uh, Ty Gibbs ten top five finishes. So, yeah, it's it, uh, really uh, – Corey Heim had an amazing year. It's just that Ty Gibbs had an almost perfect year. Yeah, it was close. I mean, another – if he had to pick up the other four wins, he would have had a, he would have had a, a perfect, uh, perfect season. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, we'll go over here the uh, final results for the race itself. 
at Salem Speedway. We mentioned that Jesse Love won that race for Venturini Motorsports. He drove the number 15 uh, and finished first. Then it was Ty Gibson, second place, followed by Roger Caruth with Rep Racing. A great finish for him, uh, finishing in third place. Will Kimmel, uh, he is kind of a veteran, especially of uh, Salem Speedway, came in fourth place, followed by Gracie Trotter, another Venturini car. Uh, Gracie driving the number 25 for Venturini, finished in fifth place. Then it was Mason Mingus, Corey Heim, J.R. Bergeron, Cody Swanson, and Kenny Schrader rounding out the top ten finishers at Salem Speedway. Uh, pretty exciting there. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you look at the at all the drivers, you know, when they finished, and, you know, to see, um, you know, Kenny Schrader, you know, at his age, you know, still be able to get a top ten in that series, you know, is, uh, you know, I'm sure it's a lot of fun for him to go out there and just to participate. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, we also want to make sure we cover the standings here, Sal. <clears throat> the standings are two drivers. Uh, yeah, only only two drivers have competed the have competed the um, the whole the whole uh, series, and it was uh, Ty Gibbs. It was the first uh, Corey Hyman second, uh, Nick Sanchez the third, Dave Moffat fourth, and Brad Smith round out the top five. Yes, indeed. And uh, Ty Gibbs, again, he has 10 wins out of 19 races. Uh, 18 of the 19 races are top fives. That's incredible. In addition to having 10 wins, Ty Gibbs has the 10 pole awards. He has a two-point average start with an average finish of 3.1. Amazing stats for this young man. Oh, yeah, it is. And a 33-point difference between him and Corey Hyde for the for the series championship. Yeah, the only two drivers that have raced all four, all 19 races. Uh, Corey has the six wins, uh, 15 top fives, along with 19 top ten. So uh, every race he raced in, he finished in the top ten. Uh, he has three pole awards, an average start of 3.7 with an average finish of 3.1. So they virtually tied for the average finish stat. Uh, but, uh, man, this has been a tight competition between these two, but Ty Gibbs is expanding the gap. Yeah, yes, he is. It's, um, yeah, yeah when, when you look at the game changer in here, it was the, the 10 wins that Ty Gibbs ended up with over Corey Hines, them six wins. That's that's where the extra um, points uh, came in at. Yep, you're absolutely right, Sal. Uh, it's been a fun season to watch these two uh, drivers compete in the Arkham Menard Series, and uh, I know we'll have a lot to look forward to. Uh, big congratulations to Ty Gibbs, who uh, won the Chief Showdown Championship. Uh, at just 18 years old, uh, he won that two chief championship by the 22 points over Kai, uh, Corey Heim. Uh, Gibbs led 153 of 200 laps. 
at Toledo. He led 35 of 42 laps at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, and he led all but one lap at Iowa Speedway in July. Uh, He led only 30 of 205 laps at Winchester Speedway in July, but he followed by he followed up that race by leading every lap at the Milwaukee Mile in August. <clears throat> and at Bristol Motor Speedway, he led all but three laps. So just an almost perfect year for Ty Gibbs, and I can't wait to see what happens at the season finale at Kansas Speedway on October the 23rd. Yeah, I'm sure you can almost chalk up another win for him. It's not... He'll he'll do what he has to do to to make sure and secure that that uh that championship, yes. which it's already technically it's already secured. That is true. Um, so and again, Roger Caruth, uh, the 19 year old rookie from Washington D.C., uh, had a new career high for Rev Racing uh, for the Rev Racing driver in his first Arkham Menard Series start. So that was impressive for Roger Carruth as well. Uh, that's on the heels of finishing third in the ARCA East points this season. Carruth is actually slated to run full-time uh, on the Arkham and schedule with Rev Racing for next season. So I'm looking forward to watching Roger race. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm wondering if Gracie Trotter is going to be back. Hard to say. They, um, you know, no, nobody's really, um, no, no, nobody's really um, has said anything what their what their um, plans are for next season. So I'm sure it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a while. Yeah, it might be a while, but uh, I can't wait to find out if Gracie's going to be back. I think, I think, uh, you know, having this season that she's had this year. Uh, I do believe next season is going to be a stronger season for her. So I hope she does return. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. We'll, I'm sure we'll see a lot from her coming up. I'm sure we will. Uh, so uh, I know we're a little bit ahead of schedule. I'm going to go ahead and get started because. It's just going to help us uh, have the time we need to cover all three series. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about the Negri series, uh, starting with the truck series. Uh, I think it's the first time in history, Sal, that we've had three first-time winners across all three of NASCAR's top series. Okay. Let me get the chair. I'm sorry, we're having I'm having flashes on my on my computer screen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was Hopefully just saying it's, it's the this, first time in history that we've had three first time winners uh across NASCAR's top three series at the same track. So Kate Fogelman in the number twelve won the Chevy Chevy Silverado two fifty in the truck series race at Talladega Super Speedway on Sunday, Saturday afternoon, scoring his very first career series win. Um, Bogleman's truck made contact with the number four of John Hunter Nemechek heading toward the checkered flag. Nemechek wrecked as Bogleman edged out uh, number 56 of Tyler Hill 
to get the victory. Both Fogelman and Hill also wrecked as they slid down the track after crossing the finishing line. Now, the number 56 of Hill finished second over Todd Gilliland, uh, John Undernema, Jack Ryan, Truex, Corey Roper, Spencer Boyd, Danny Bone, Chase Purdy, and Keith McGee rounds out the top ten. Stage one was won by the pole sitter, the number 99 of Ben Rhodes. He finished 13th. Stage two was won by Sheldon Creed, and he finished in 12th place. Many playoff drivers did have trouble getting caught up in current accidents that are prone to happen at Talladega. Only 15 race trucks finished on the lead lap. There were 23 lead changes among 12 drivers, six cautions for 29 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 125.119 miles per hour. Kate Fogelman won the 16th annual Chevy Silverado 250. It was his first victory in 47 Camping World Truck Series starts. Also, his first victory in second top 10 finish this year and his first victory in first top 10 finish in three races at Talladega. Tyler Hill posted his first top 10 finish in two races at Talladega and his first top 10 finish this year. Todd Gilliland posted his second top 10 finish in five races at Talladega. Chase Purdy was ninth. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Your thoughts about the race results, Sal? Yeah, they were kind of still trying to figure out who that who that driver is that won the race. Um, <laughs> couldn't believe it. I mean, I was I, I watched it and went back and. You know, once again, you know, Todd Gillen, you know, put himself in another position, you know, win another race and for some reason just couldn't, you know, just yeah, couldn't, um, it's, it's... get it done. You know, then, um, you know, then, you know, the, the incident between Matt Crafton and John Hunter Nemechek, I had a laugh when, when, uh, when Matt Crafton went up after him and slapped him on the butt, you know, and kind of looked at me like, <laughs> you know, kid, you know, you, you got a lot to learn. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Uh, there were several drivers that were caught up in the accidents, uh, almost half the field. Uh, we'll start uh, with the three drivers that uh, could not uh, get their repairs taken care of within NASCAR's designated amount of time. That would include Stuart Friesen, Jason White, and Tyler Ancrum. Uh, let's see, Austin Wayne Self had an electrical issue that took him out of the race. Jack Wood had an engine problem that took him out of the race. The rest of these drivers that I'm going to list off are all out of the race due to accidents, and it is Talladega, so you expect that. But uh, we're going to start with Grant Infinger, Clay Greenfield, Haley Deegan, Carson Hosebar, uh, Dylan Lupton. Then it was uh, Johnny Sauter, Jennifer Jo Cobb. Austin Hill, Zane Smith, Tanner Gray, uh, Drew Dollar, Chris Wright, Parker Kligerman, Lawless Allen, Brian Dulzak, and uh, that's a lot of drivers that are out of this race based on accidents. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, I mean, it was just like once when, when they started hitting, <clears throat> it seemed like they were never going to stop. It was, uh, it was a, it was a crazy, uh, 
uh, chain of events. You know, then once again, you know, Sheldon. Go ahead. And once again, Sheldon Creed found himself, you know, he ended up with a good finish, but he he found himself, you know, in a in another bad bad position again this week, you know. So well, I guess we'll exactly. see how these folks look. John Hunter Nemechek, the only driver to finish in the top five. Uh, no other drivers, playoff drivers, finished in the top ten. Uh, Chase Sheldon Creed, you mentioned, he finished twelfth. Ben Rhodes, thirteenth. Matt Crafton in fourteenth. Chandler Smith finished 19th, Stuart Friesen 22nd, and Carson Hosebar finished in 25th place. Zane Smith finished in 33rd. So you know those drivers uh, are not looking forward to this next race at Martinsville, which is going to be the elimination race for the final four. Uh, ben Rhodes won that first stage, then it was uh, Sheldon Creed who won the second stage. Uh, what an amazing race! Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a. I'll tell you, it was. It was. I guess when the drivers spoke about you know being you know part of the. You know, you know, if it was going to be a tough race, you know they were. They really. Uh, it was really a tough race. <laughs> it was, and I think Martinsville is going to be a tough race too. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the uh, series point standings. <clears throat> All right, the series points is um, after this race at Talladega, we got uh, um, John Hunter Imichek was leading the points, Ben Rhodes in second, Matt Crafton's in third, Just- um, Sheldon Creed. Is fourth, so that's half the field because there's only eight drivers in the uh, there's only eight drivers in the um, in the uh, into this round. But then from there, then we go to uh, Stuart Friesen. Race at Martinsville is what's going to eliminate for these these bottom four, perhaps. Uh, The bottom four after Martinsville will be eliminated. Yeah, which is um. which is uh, fifth is, is Stuart Friesen, sixth is Chandler Smith, seventh is Carson Hosovar, and eighth is Zane Smith. Basically, Carson Hosovar and, well, Carson Hosovar and Chandler Smith and, and Zane Smith are in, are in a, they're in a, uh, a must-win situation. They are indeed. Uh, it's a really tight point scale. Stuart Friesen right now just five points below the cut line. Uh, ben Rhodes just one point out of first place. Uh, so that's even tight uh, at the top. But uh, when you go down this uh, bottom four, uh, Chandler Smith and Carson Hosevar are separated by just three points. And then it's three more points to Zane Smith. So those three drivers are separated by basically six points. Yeah, but even with the points, depending how everything happens, depending on what happens with the top with the top drivers, yep. um, it looks like they're going to be in a in a must win situation. Yep, it's going to be interesting. Martinsville is a short track racing at its best, 
and uh, just like uh, Talladega or uh, similar to Talladega, nothing's like Talladega. But uh, a lot can happen in Martinsville, and this is uh, this is all on the line for uh, these eight drivers to make it into the final four at Phoenix for the season finale. Oh yeah, they're all good. they're going to be fighting tooth and nail for the for the best possible finish or the you know or you know or the win itself. So it's going to be um, it's going to be uh, exciting. Okay, so we're going to have about 15 minutes each uh, now for the Xfinity and the uh, Cup Series. So let's go ahead and move on to uh, the, Cup, the Xfinity Series. Uh, they ran the Sparks 300 at Talladega Super Speedway on Saturday. Uh, and uh, Brandon Brown beats the darkness at Talladega to score his first Xfinity Series victory. As he crossed the finish line under caution on a dark racetrack, Brandon Brown surrendered to the Amoka's first victory in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, And uh, that was pretty fun to watch. When NASCAR declared the Sparks 300 Xfinity Series race at Talladega official with six laps remaining, uh, they called it because of darkness. The number 68 of Brandon Brown was ahead of the field, and Brown gave his family-ran Brandon Built Motorsports team its very first victory. NASCAR had to go back to the last scoring line. The field crossed when the caution flew on lap 103, to determine the actual finishing order. Brown was narrowly ahead of Brandon Jones. Then it was Justin Algauer in a three-wide battle, uh, and they gave uh, the victory to Brown. Daniel Hemrick and Jordan Anderson rounded out the top five. Daytona winner Justin Haley placed sixth, followed by Jeb Burton, Austin Sendrick, Josh Berry, Joe Graff Jr. rounds out the top ten. So making the first start of the season for Joe Gibbs Racing uh, in the number 54, John Hunter Nemechek won the opening stage and the rookie driver. I was so happy to see Blaine Perkins in the number 23 score that second stage win for our motorsports. I was literally cheering for him. Uh, So there were 33 changes among 17 drivers. Five cautions for 21 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 128.486 miles per hour. You had something to say there? Yeah, it was exciting. A lot of people out here in, in California were rooting for Blaine when he, especially when he won the, when he picked up that stage when It was, uh, it was, uh, wow. I mean, and he he ran a smart race. He. he I think had the race he kept did. going, he could have probably had a better finish than what he than what he ended up having. We'll get to that when we get to the. Uh, I was so happy the, uh, for him. To the to the finishing order. Okay, Brandon Brown won the second annual Sparks 300 at Talladega for his very first victory in 115 Xfinity Series starts. It was his first victory and ninth top ten finish this season and his first victory and third top ten finish in six races at Talladega. Brandon Jones posted his third top ten finish in nine races at Talladega and his 15th top ten finish this season. 
Justin Algauer posted his seventh top ten finish in 14 races at Talladega. Josh Berry, who finished ninth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. So uh, your thoughts about the race results? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was I, – I, I think NASCAR, hopefully they'll realize that when you go to a track with no lights, you either have to start earlier, especially Talladega. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, you, 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 you know there's going to be wrecks. You know, you either start the race early or you want to, you just want to run one race a day because, you know, to not give the Xfinity a chance to finish, you know, because of the, the darkness, you know, I don't think, you know, it's fair to a lot of the, you know, a lot of the drivers, you know, who could have advanced, especially, especially when you're talking about being in the playoffs, you don't ever want to cut a race short because, you know. Well, here's the thing that I've heard about Talladega. Here's the thing I've heard about Talladega. I would love for Talladega to have lights, but. The only races that run on the big track are the NASCAR races when they come into town. Everybody else races on the dirt track there at Talladega. So to put the lights in there just for the NASCAR races is awfully expensive because that is a mammoth track, and it would take a fortune to put lights around that track. So your point, uh, Sal, uh, they've got to think about maybe starting these races a little bit earlier in the day because, and, and I know they try to run them at a time of day that will incorporate the West Coast as well uh, because they don't want to lose the West Coast market because they started too early in the day. Oh, no, I understand that completely. You know what? I mean, that's totally understandable, you know, about the light situation, you know. I mean, you know, it, it's just not, I mean, um, not really what you say marketing wise, but you know, um uh you know, as far as um you know, spending throwing money away, spending money, yeah, you don't want to throw money away on you know, on on lights, you know, that are you know, a track only uses you know twice a year. Twice but, a year. Mhm. You know, but what but what you need to do is you need to schedule you need to schedule these races a little bit different. You know, that as far as, and, and I know, you know, you, you can only start so early in the morning, but, um, you know, like I said, you, you know, you're going to have multiple cautions. You got the, uh, you have the, the, um, not only multiple cautions, but you also have, you know, the, you know, multiple red flags, you know, because of some of the bigger yep. wrecks and stuff, you know. So, I mean, you know, you got to factor that in or, or instead of waiting two, three hours in between the race, clean the track off and get the second race started. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, similar to the uh, truck series race, there were a lot of accidents in this race. I'm going to cover the drivers uh, that had other issues taking them out. David Starr had an engine issue, as, as did um, uh, Landon Castle. That ended their days early. Uh, Bailey Curley... <clears throat> Curry had a drive shaft issue, uh, taking him out of the race. And this next list of drivers are all drivers that were taken out by accident. A.J. Allmendinger and Sam Mayer, they had a big accident early in the race. Uh, Then it was uh, Mason Massey, uh, C.J. McLaughlin, Ryan Vargas, Cesar Barcerella, Myatt Snyder, Noah Gregson, 
Jeffrey Earnhardt, Jason White, Riley Earps, who had a really good run going, uh, Brett Moffitt, and Harrison Burton, all taken out uh, by accidents in this race. So uh, four of those drivers, Riley Earps, Miller Gregson, Myatt Snyder, uh, and A.J. Allmendinger, all uh, playoff drivers along with Harrison Burton. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, <laughs> I don't know. That's I just, it was a, drivers. yeah, yeah, except for, and I mean, and then, yeah, I know when you start looking up and down, you know, I, I felt bad for Riley. Riley really, Riley had a good run and got, got caught up in something else. He did. Mess. He did. I was cheering for Riley, too. I really think he's starting to come alive. I hope he comes back to the Xfinity Series next year um, because I really want to see him do well in that number 98. Well, they talked to him. He was was really depressed. You know, he's in a – he's in a – he's in a – you know, like you said too. You know, he's in a must-win situation. Right. Let's go ahead and cover win. the points because uh, again, it, I believe it's Martinsville. Uh, <clears throat> four of these drivers will be eliminated out of these twelve. Yeah, and then the points are uh, the points. We still have um, Austin Cedric leading, Justin Algaier in second, Daniel Hamrick in third, and AJ Allmendinger. Uh, round out the top four. Almondinger also had a gotten a gotten a wreck too. You know that kind of you know cost him. Yep. You know that put him that put him in that you know in that in that bubble spot. And then um, he went from first to fourth. Yeah. And then um. And then uh, we got Justin Haley in fifth. Brandon Jones in sixth. Noah Gregson in seventh. Harrison Burton in eighth, Jeb Burton in ninth, Mike Snyder in tenth, and Riley Herps and Jeremy Semich at the bottom of the. Yeah, the unfortunately, of the, uh, to your point, uh, these bottom four have a huge hill to climb. All four need a win at Martinsville, and unfortunately, only one of them can actually win. Um, but you know those four drivers are going to be giving it everything they've got. I have to give the edge to Jeb Burton, though, because he has raced really, really well at Martinsville in the past. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, but I give Jeb Burton the best chance out of those four. Yeah, and actually Noah isn't really in – I mean, yeah, he's in good. he's in a good position, but with another bad finish like he just had at Talladega, that, that would knock yeah. him out of the – that also knocked him out of the. Uh... He's vulnerable for sure. Yeah. Actually, Justin Haley, Brandon Jones, Noah Gregson, uh, those guys are all pretty close in points there. Uh, but Brandon Jones and Noah Gregson, along with Harrison Burton, they're all vulnerable. Yeah, they. Um... The, the role is going to be a uh, well. So far, so far, Noah feels that 
when they talk to him after he's you know he's he's had I don't think he's had anything less than a top five finish there, but I mean anything can happen. You're right. Anything can happen, and it usually does. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But Martinsville is one of those tracks where you know people are going to leave the track unhappy. You, only one driver is really going to be happy after Martinsville. But that's true at just about every track, right? Yeah. Well, is it Martin <laughs> or is it the, no? Their next race is the Roval, right? Uh, I don't think that. Let me take a look at the schedule. Um, hold on. I was thinking it was at Martinsville, but let me look. I might have it confused with one of the other series. Uh, I don't think they're racing at the Roval. Yeah, but I could be wrong because uh, because um, uh, no, no, I talked about the about them going to the Roval. Oh, okay. Let me take a look at it here. I've got the next race at Martinsville, so if you look at the schedule. Yeah, Martinsville okay. is their next race on October the 30th. And then after that, then it's the Roval, right? No, after that is Phoenix. Because they're going to drop four drivers after Martinsville. I could have sworn Noah said something about Martinsville. Well, he did. He might have said Martinsville, but not the Roval. Because the Roval is not on their schedule. Hold on, let me look at this. I'm at the trucks. I gotta go to the Xfinity. Okay. Hold on. Let me go to the Xfinity. Hold on. I hit the wrong. Yeah, okay, they are at the Roval. My my bad Yeah. Name. Um okay, they are at the Roval. So that's gonna be their elimination race at the Roval next week. So the drive for the cure. So it's going to be on the road course. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, at, for the Xfinity Series. We know Austin Cindric is really good on these road courses. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. But you're right. It's it's the Roval. I yeah, because I, I don't know. No one's no, no talking about, about rebounding. Oh, at the Roval? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's my bad. I hit the wrong link. I thought I hit the Xfinity, but I actually hit the truck series. So, my mistake. Okay. So, let's go ahead and move on to the uh, Cup Series. Uh, They ran today, Sal, at uh, Talladega Super Speedway. Their race was... uh, called for weather from yesterday. They started today, and again, it was called for weather. Uh, But these guys, wow, what a race they put on. Bubba Wallace scores a historic triumph in the rain-shortened NASCAR Cup Series race at Talladega. A strong push from Byron Chevrolet turned Justin Algauer's Camaro sideways 
as the car thundered through the trioval on lap 56. Algauer shot up the track into Larson's Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, severely damaging the front suspension and the sheet metal on the driver's side of the car. Larson was able to also make minimum speed after a restart on lap 65. The caution for the five-car wreck that crippled Larson's car also encompassed the end of stage one, won by a non-playoff driver, Chris Busher. Bubble Wallace won the race-shortened Yellowwood 500 at Talladega Super Speedway on Monday afternoon for his first career win. Then it was Kaslowski in second, Logano and Kurt Busch in third. No, I'm sorry, Logano third, Kurt Busch fourth, and Bell rounding out the top five. Uh, the next five were Chris Busher, the pole sitter, Danny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Eric Jones, and Anthony Alfredo. Wallace took the lead on lap 113 and was in front of the field when an accident on lap 116 put the race under caution. The rain started to fall shortly thereafter and NASCAR threw the red flag on lap 117. Rain continued and NASCAR called the race about a half hour later when they did not have time to dry the track before darkness. There was also an 18-minute red flag on lap 74 to dry the track after a brief rain shower in turns one and two. Several playoff drivers had tough days. Kyle Larson was caught in an accident just before the end of stage one. He finished 37th. An accident on lap 98 collected three playoff drivers, including Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., and Alex Bowman. Bowman was unable to continue. He ended up finishing in 38th. William Byron also caught up in a wreck on lap 116 just before the rain started. He finished in 36. Stage one again was won by Chris Busher. There were 35 lead changes among 19 drivers, five cautions for 26 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 130.218 miles per hour. Bubba Wallace won the 53rd annual Yellowwood 500 for his first victory in 144 Cup Series starts. It was his first victory and third top 10 finish this year, his first victory and first top 10 finish at Talladega. Keselowski posted his 13th top 10 finish in 27 races at Talladega, and it's his 14th top 10 finish this year. Rodano posted his 11th top 10 finish in 27 races at Talladega, and Anthony Alfredo, who finished 10th, was the highest-finishing rookie of the race. Denny Hamlin, well, we'll talk about Denny Hamlin here in a moment, uh, but this was indeed the first time in history that there has been a first-time winner from all three series in a single weekend at the same track. That's amazing, Sal, that we had first-time winners in all three of NASCAR series. But I want to get your thoughts about the race results. Yeah, I, you know what? I mean, it is what it is. I mean, sure, there ain't too many people you know, that were happy with the, you know, with the outcome. But you know, at least NASCAR did try to dry the track. You know, you, you get you got to give them that. It's not like they just, you know, Bubba Wallace crossed the line. You know, they brought him in and said, okay, you know what? You know, fifteen twenty minutes later, you know, let's go to call the race. You know, they they did try to get out there and um, dry the track. But then when the rains came, they had. Well, I mean, what were they going to do? I mean, it, it gets 
it gets dark by they said six six thirty. The track would have been probably dried if it would have if if that second rain wouldn't have came. If that second rain wouldn't have came, I think they would have been able to dry it in time. But when that second rain came, you know, there was you had you had to call the race. You know, you had to get the you know give the teams a chance to um you know to load up. You know, and plus you know all the um you know all the post race stuff. You know, the TV had to take care of. So uh, you know, it was just a matter yeah. of. Uh, you know, it was just a matter of, um, you know, them having to do as they had to do. Um, you know, uh, I, I I have my, you know, my opinions on, you know, the way they, you know, the way they said he made history when, I mean, come on. I mean, the history was already made with Wendell Scott. You know, you, you don't make, you don't, you don't make history twice. I'm sorry. You know, you make it once. It was already done. You know, it was already a done deal, you know, just like, you know, but, you know. Yeah, but look either at way, the you time know, span between the first time and the second time. Uh, oh, no, oh, no, I understand It's that. a oh, huge time spread there. So it we're talking matter. about I mean, two history, entirely different eras of racing. Yeah, I know. History is history. I mean, you know, um, you know, just like, you know, Jimmy Johnson won seven championships, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, Richard Petty was the first one, you know, and, and they didn't, they didn't make a big deal about Jimmy's, you know, they, they said he won seven, he needed the eight to break the record, you know, but, you know, they left yeah, it at but that, you know. But. He, he, you also made history by doing it with a multiple different uh, scenarios that NASCAR put out there. So, uh, you know, he did it with the traditional points, he did it with the chase point system. He did it with the stage point oh, yeah. system. I'm, I mean, exactly. he did it with a lot of different scenarios there. So uh, it, it, it is an entirely different system of racing that they have today than what it was when Wendell Scott won his championship. Yeah, and, you know, and, and you know, once again, you know, with no light, you know, I'm sure if they had lights, you know, I'm sure they might have, you know, waited, you know, yeah. maybe try to, yeah. you know, you know, maybe try to wait out the second rainstorm. You know, they did over here at Auto Club Speedway one one year. We had a real bad rainstorm, and they they had the track partially dried, and the rain came back down again. And then they um, they didn't even call the race. They waited until the second storm was over. They dried the track, and then when they got the track dried, then when they got the cars out there, then you know we got the big rain. Then it had to end because it was only like nine o'clock at night. But, right, um, right. you know, he got the win, you know what, and, um, you know, it, you know, you, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing you can change about that, you know, and, uh, you know, every, every team had it, every team had a chance, all the teams knew the rain was coming, you know, right. so, you know, it, 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 it's not like it was just something that was all of a sudden just thrown at them, you know, hey, you know, you know, exactly. I mean, everybody knew the rain was coming, so everybody's racing, you know, had to start racing, you know, towards the end of that. <laughs> Towards the end That's of the stage, true. you know, and um, uh, you know, it was a big shakeup in the points, you know, as far as you know who needed yeah, to be where. Yeah, let's cover the points know, here. Yeah, it was a big for the cup series you know, because uh, there is yeah it's very tight. A lot of drivers are vulnerable right now. Yeah, and, in the and, cup and, series, and they and when they kept showing it, you know, it was like it was like you seen Keselowski go from you know, being in to being out, you know, and then you see 
mm-hmm. Harvard going from being in to being out. You know, Chris, yep. Christopher Bell from being in to being out. You know, Chase Elliott mm-hmm. from being in to being out. You know, so I mean, you know, the role, I'm sure the role is going to bring the same, the same set of scenarios and stuff like that, too. But anyways, the, okay. the way the pointers, the way the, the way the points are sitting now is um, you got Denny Hamlin in first, uh, Kyle Larson in second, who had a really rough day once he got hit, and uh, mm-hmm. um, Joy Logano in third, uh, Brad Keselowski fourth, Martin Truex Jr. fifth, um, and Ryan Blaney round out the top six because there's only, there's yeah, only you 12 got Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex tied at 21 points back. And they're just one point behind Joy Logano, who's one point behind Kyle Larson. So it's super tight in there. Oh, yeah, it is. It was, uh, I mean, we're, I was watching the points going back and forth, you know, and it was, you know, it was it was pretty crazy, you know, to see, you know, all the drivers that were bouncing in and out, in and out. <clears throat> and then mm-hmm. from there, then, um, then we go to, uh, um, Seventh is Chase right. Elliott. Eighth is eighth oh, is Kyle okay. Busch. Ninth is ninth is Kevin Harvick. Tenth, Christopher Bell. Eleventh is William Byron, and twelfth is Alex Bowman, who was also part of a wreck that just basically he's him. Bell, Byron, and Bowman are all in um they're in a must win situations. Yeah. They really have to get that win at uh, the Charlotte Roden uh, yeah, in they're, order they're, to uh, yeah, make it to the next round. Yeah, they're they're in muscle situations, and um, you know it's it's going. Harvick's not far you know, off from that. He's he's got to have. Yeah, he's not. He's forty-one points <clears throat> back, depending on what happens yeah, for, to the others. And, and for a while there, Harvick was. Harvick was way up there, you know, up in the points, you know, while he was leading early, you know, he led early on in the race, but, you know, you really can't go, you know, by the, by the first half of the race, you know, you have to wait till like the last 10, 15 laps, you know, to actually start mm-hmm. seeing, you know, what, you know, what the different, um, you know, the different race he's scenarios going to play out. But He's just nine points behind Kyle Busch. And actually and Kyle Chase Bush Elliott. and Chase Elliott are tied in seventh and eighth. Yeah, I, I think the, I think if they tied, I think the game, the, the, I think the, uh, um, tiebreaker would go to, uh, would go to, to either, uh, wow, it how are they doing? Chase, Chase Elliott, Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch each have two wins. Harvick doesn't have any, so. Well, the tie is between be Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch, who yeah. both have two race wins. Uh, then they look at the top fives and the top tens, and I don't have that info here right now. But yeah, I don't, I don't see it either. I just see it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's whoever has the most top fives in that group uh, between Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch. In this case, I think it's Chase Elliott, and that's why he gets the the edge there. Uh, but that's pretty close. Nine points between seventh and ninth place. Uh, and again, it's just six points behind Blaney, who's in sixth place. So, uh, Chase Elliott and Kyle Bush are six points behind Blaney. 
So, and five points separate Blaney from uh, the next up guy, who is Martin Drex Jr., and he's tied with Brad Keselowski. I mean, it is just so tight here that anything can happen at the Roval. It's it's going to be interesting. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and, and we're probably going to see <clears throat> we're probably going to see um, you know the drivers you know uh, you know once they get to the Roval you know we're going to see the uh, the um, you know who the favorite to win is going to be. The, the who the Chase Elliott King. Yeah, the road course king is Chase Elliott this year. Uh, unless it's uh, he, he's got to be the favorite to win at the Charlotte Roval. He's right now seventh, uh, but if he wins, he puts himself in to that next stage, and that would push out possibly. Uh, well, we don't know who it's going to push out because it depends on how these guys finish at the Roval. Yeah, it's just going to it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how how everything all these different race scenarios play out. It is indeed. Sal, are you going to be at the racetrack this weekend? I don't know. Probably not. There's nothing. Orndale is having their championship night, but uh, they, they, they already, well, we already crowned our, our pro league champion, but it's just for like the local divisions, like super stocks and, and, um, uh, um, Legend cars and stuff like that. So I don't know if I'm going to go. I got I might just take another week off and wait until the 23rd for the for the SRL uh, tour race and um, over in. Uh, and go then. Okay. Over in. Um, yeah. Well, if you talk to Blaine Perkins and Riley Earps. Uh, let those guys know. I was really proud of them this weekend. I know Riley's probably disappointed with with his finish, but I thought Blaine Perkins still finished what in thirteenth place. He still had a really good yeah. finish. Oh yeah, he still had a good finish. He, um, I mean, there was a chance that without the without the darkness, you know, that he he probably could have he probably could have moved up a. You know, he probably could have moved up a few spots. I'm sure a lot of those drivers back there were just waiting, you know, you yep. know, for the last, you know, and but then, like I said, it, um, you know, didn't it didn't materialize. Well, I was on the my feet cheering for the both of them, especially for that stage win, and and Blaine came through, so I was really really happy for him. Yeah, he was uh. His dad was happy. I texted his dad right after it happened. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, he was um, he was I'll really happy. I bet he was thrilled. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was. Well, well, we're going to have to let you go, Sal. We're coming up on uh, our hot topic sound off segment. You're welcome to join us. Oh, I can't tonight, Sharon. I'm I'm still kind of under the weather on this COVID thing, and and uh, okay. You know, trying to. It's, uh, it's always an open invitation, just so you know. Okay. And I hope you do get that feeling better. I know it takes a while to kind of recover from that, so hang in there. Oh yeah, I am. I'm taking. That's why I'm taking it easy and not really doing much, and I haven't really gone anywhere and just kind of staying around the house. Okay. 
Well, we'll talk to you next Monday night, Sal. Take care and have a good one. All right. Everybody have a good weekend. Stay safe, and um, we'll talk to you next week. Okay. Take care now. Okay. Okay. We are at the uh, bottom of the half hour here, and it is now time for our NAFTA Hot Topic Sound Off, and our whole Fan for Racing crew uh, is here uh, for our discussion. Uh, let's see, Andy's here. So, Andy, you are the co-host for Hot Topics. We'll start with you. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Sharon? How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing really well. Uh, I know you guys had some fun out there at Talladega today. Uh, Jay, were you able to get out there? No, I, I was going to ask that. I was like, I didn't make it out there, so I watched the race and, and I'm dry. I don't know about Andy and Mike and Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Mike, are you are you uh, dried out yet from the uh, rain there? Oh, I've got a a big sunburned and simultaneously soaked big hayo for everybody. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, thanks for the picture you guys posted. That was awesome to see, uh, and it uh, was great that you guys had a chance to all meet each other. Uh, but we're ready for hot topic sound off. Jay, I'm going to have you kick it off here with an update on our points for fantasy racing. Yeah, All right, we need to well, do that after this weekend. We can, we can, we could probably skip it, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, there, there's definitely some big updates to give here. Try and get these pulled up here, and then I'll give some stats. Uh, let's I know see. I'm that, okay. So in for the truck series. Yeah, for the truck series, uh, Mike is now the leader at 101. Andy and myself are tied at 99. Sharon's at 98. Sam at 92. Owen at uh, 75. Tommy at 70. And James at 66. And with two races left, James is, can no longer win it. Uh, he'd come up three short if he got max points and the top guy got zero. Tommy is one point from being eliminated and Owen six, but the rest of us are within nine points uh, with two races remaining, 32 points available. So on the Xfinity, I have a four point lead over Andy, 130 to 126, Sam at 117, Mike 105, Sharon 99, Tommy 93, James and Owen tied at 89, so there, nobody has been eliminated. 80 points still available, and James and Owen being tied at 89 have a 39-point margin to play with over the next five races. Then, on the cup side, why is that one not sorted? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, Owen is stretching out the lead here. Uh, might be the biggest we've seen, especially on the cup side. He's at 175. I'm at 163, Sharon 159, Sam 154, Mike at 150 even, James uh, 131, and Tommy 125. Andy, I got some bad news. You and Chase Briscoe have been eliminated. Uh, You're already 13 points short of possibly even getting it. Tommy and James are about 30 points out. Uh, from being eliminated. Again, there's five races left there. And that puts the overall, I got a little bit of a lead, 392, 
Sam 363, Sharon 356, along with Mike, tied at 356, Owen at 339, Andy 307, Tommy 288, and James 286. And there's 192 points. Nobody's been eliminated. There's still 80, or uh, James and Tommy are 86 and 88 points from that. So the only one, the truck series, the only one that we've had an actual elimination yet, I take that back, Andy in the cup and then James in the trucks. But other than that, and there's some tight battles there, that has been so cool to see this year. It is. It is. And, again, thank you so much for uh, keeping track of all of that for us, Jay. All right. Uh, Andy, I'm going to let you kick us off for the hot topics tonight. All right. First one uh, kind of stemmed from Saturday in particular, um, after the truck series race in between that and the Xfinity series race, the Talladega track president said that, um, I don't know if it was jokingly or if he was serious that every vehicle that goes to victory lane should wind up destroyed, which I think drew the ire of some of those in the sport. So kind of wanted to see what everyone thought about that. Okay. That's kind of an interesting comment. Jay, what are your thoughts about that? I, I'm sorry. Can you say again the, the, the quote? Yeah, basically the uh, the track president um, over the public address system in between the truck and Xfinity races uh, basically addressed the crowd in saying that every vehicle that goes to victory lane at Talladega should look like the winning truck, which was Tate Fogelman's truck Saturday, which was effectively destroyed. And uh, I know it drew the ire uh, specifically of Kyle Busch uh, on Twitter. He was He was kind of upset about that, you know, because – I'll give my opinion on it, but I didn't know if anybody had seen that or not. Yeah, no, I just I just wanted to reconfirm exactly what you said the quote was. I did not see that. Uh, he's playing two sides of the fence there. Yeah, you want to rile up the crowd. We've talked about this. A majority of fans, especially when it comes to super speedways, whether they'll admit it or not, want to see the wrecks. But for him to say that, uh, yeah, I can see where Kyle Busch, as a driver and as a team owner, uh, is a little frustrated by that. I mean, from the driver aspect, you're talking about safety. From the team owner aspect, you're talking about money and junk, <laughs> taking home a pile of junk even when you win the race. So what's the profit? Uh, you know, I understand, like I said, he was probably just trying to rile up the crowd, play to them, but that's a, that's a pretty bold public statement to, to make because uh, you really don't want to see that. We understand Bristol, a short track, it happens. You know, we've seen that at, at Bristol with Terry Labonte. Your super speedways, again, survival. Your car is normally banged up a little bit. This one a little bit more so than uh, than normal. But to say that you want to see that like that every race, I, I can see where Kyle is frustrated. And I also understand that, though, that he was just trying to rile the crowd up and play to them. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, like Jay said, I understand the sentiment, and I understand trying to get people riled up and excited for the kind of racing that goes on at Talladega. It's a promotional thing. I get it. But at the same time, I also agree that, especially in the truck series and the Xfinity series, a lot of those teams can't afford to smash up cars and trucks every single weekend, regardless of what racetrack you're at, and even if you're the winner. Um, especially double, especially in the, in the truck series, you know, if Rick Hendrick goes and he wrecks all four of his race cars, that's what 150 grand a pop. So Rick's out $600,000 for a weekend. 
he probably made that and what they, they paid him via sponsorship and whatnot. And even then, Rick Hendricks got deep enough pockets. He can, he can afford it. Versus you go to the back half of the truck series, and maybe you're talking about a team that has one or two full-time employees, maybe one or two trucks in total sitting in a two-bay garage. And these are the teams that are putting them together, and they're getting them ready to go to the racetrack. And whether they win or not, they can't afford to total that truck. So I get trying to promote it and whatnot, but we should be really careful about getting too excited about wrecking cars and trucks, especially in the bottom half of the Xfinity Series and the bottom half of the Truck Series, because those teams just can't afford it. And if we're already worried about thin fields here, the way to get the field even thinner is to make it financially unsustainable by wrecking cars all the time. Yeah, we, I, I used to be real upset that the way they promoted NASCAR was by showing the most terrific races they could show. And I saw it today, in fact. Uh, you know, they showed the Carl Edwards up in the uh, catch fence. Uh, and and I, I just, that's not why I watch racing. It's just not. I know that there are fans out there that love to see the wrecks. I'm not one of those fans. I want to see them on the track racing. I want to see the guys leave their cars safe and sound. I know a lot of these guys are going to be really sore over the next several days. And the toll that it takes on your body going through those kinds of wrecks at those speeds, it, that's not fun. And I would suggest that the track president get into the, one of those cars and take a hard hit into the wall and see how he feels afterwards if he really thinks that that is a good idea. It's not a good idea. And I get it like you guys do. I know he's trying to promote. We're all talking about it, so he's accomplished his goal. But that's not why I watch racing. And uh, I think it was kind of a foolish uh, comment for him to make. Uh, although I do understand where he's coming from as a promoter, um, I, I, it just doesn't suit my sensibilities, if you will. Um, and I'm not in favor of it. So, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much think the same that, that everyone's already mentioned so far. Racing isn't about the crashes. It's not about wrecking all the time. It's about, especially Talladega and Daytona, it's about, you know, the three and four wide racing. And, and the thrill of it is they're on the verge of possibly crashing. But, I mean, I, I don't necessarily enjoy seeing everyone wreck every other lap either. Um, but specifically to the smaller, you know, less budgeted teams in racing, um, even, you know, specifically Young's Motorsports, who went to Victory Lane Saturday in that truck series race, you know, that's a race vehicle that's probably not going to be that easy to replace, you know. So mm-hmm. to imply to imply that, you know, every race vehicle that wins a race at Talladega should be destroyed is, is pretty absurd, I thought. I, I do understand that he was trying to get people excited, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think that um, – seeing, you know, a vehicle wrecked in victory lane all the time is, is, is what we want to see. We want to see close, hard racing and, 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 you know, specifically for the, the less budgeted teams, you know, they, they have to try to reuse those and repair those vehicles if they can, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I, I felt like it was a bit disrespectful to, you know, a lot of those less budgeted teams in the sport and, and what it really takes to, 
you know, put the money into these race teams or, or, you know, what it takes to field a truck or a car. So, um, you know, I don't know how long he's been the track president, um, but, you know, that to me is a kind of comment that comes from somebody that maybe hasn't been around a long time or isn't really that in touch with with what it takes to actually field a, a race vehicle in, in, in any of the national series, but not to try to criticize it too much. I mean, he's a track promoter. He's going to do that. He did that. We're talking about it. Like you said, Sharon, so mission accomplished, but um, yeah, I just thought it was, it wasn't very sensitive to those under budgeted teams that, um, you know, work hard to get those trucks or cars on track each weekend. Okay. Jay, your thoughts uh, in follow-up. Yeah, two things. Uh, you know, we all agree. I uh, understand that, that what he was going for in making the statement, and we can all uh, happen to use the football football analogy, I guess, uh, Monday morning quarterback, or Monday afternoon, I guess it was, actually. But he could have said it differently. You know, there's a lot of ways you can get a better, excite, exciting finish. Uh, to see somebody, anything can happen. You know, the team of Young Motorsports and Driver uh Kate Fogelman to get that victory. So it could have been said in a different way other than seeing a wrecked vehicle like that in victory lane is what he wants. So, uh, you know, and I'm yeah. sure uh, they have many people on staff and, and with the lashback that's obviously forthcoming, uh, I think that will be coached uh, in some fashion. So, yeah, just saying in a different way of, okay, you can still highlight the excitement of the race. However that excitement came for you, if it was the Rex, if it was the side-by-side, broaden the category where you're not being specific to that and essentially promoting that. And the, the, you know, I think, I don't know which one has, has the bigger gripe, a driver or an owner. And I know in the case of Kyle Busch, he's both, but <coughs> we kind of mentioned it. Uh, I don't know that Young Motorsports is in that dire need, but it's possible that even as a race winner, they may not be able to go to the next race. You know, that they don't mm-hmm. have that kind of funding, like you mentioned, or, or whatever. That, that That's possible that, you know, there's a couple of teams we know that they only have one or two trucks, and that's you know, takes away either their primary or their backup for the next two races. So, yeah, I think you needed to be a little bit more respectful of the other side of it, not just the fan side of it. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, Jay's right, I, and it pains me to say it, um, but it's a—it's not so much a, a statement issue, it's a framing issue. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the intention of the statement was we want every driver to try this hard to win this race. We want them to leave everything out there on the track, including parts of their car if they need to because they want to win Talladega that bad. And I, I completely agree with that sentiment, but to imply that I want these cars wrecked if they want to get into my victory lane. I think that's where that the, I don't know if you want to say it's over the line, but that's where the messaging kind of broke down a little bit. So I think saying the same thing framed a little bit differently, I think is a much more positive and encouraging message versus something that can be taken the way we seem to be taking it, where he says he wants these cars wrecked because it puts on a good show. I think that's, that's the, the difference here. Yeah, NASCAR is not a demolition derby and should not be considered a demolition derby. Uh, They are expert drivers, uh, some of the best drivers uh, around uh, driving in NASCAR's premier series. Um, 
and and I often wonder how the drivers feel about um, racing at tracks like Talladega and Daytona. I know that there's a storied history behind both of those tracks, uh, but the super speedway racing, uh, I mean, we heard uh, in a lot of the post-race interviews how nuts it gets out there on the track, and those are the words that they're using. It's absolutely nuts out there on the track with everybody trying to race for these positions. Um, And I don't know that they really enjoy that type of racing either. Uh, I often wonder if it was up to the drivers, would we even race at some of these tracks? Some drivers like that type of racing. uh, And obviously every driver has a chance to win. I like that aspect of it. Uh, But but Mike's right. It's the framing of how they put that, how somebody should put that, uh, that really makes a difference on how fans are going to perceive what's being said. None of us really cared for the comment, although we kind of knew, know uh, what he was aiming for. Uh, none of us really appreciated the comments, and I can't imagine that many of the drivers would appreciate it or team owners would appreciate it uh, if, if he had to put out that kind of money for those cars or if, like I said earlier, if he was behind the wheel of one of those cars and uh, his body ached for several days afterwards, uh, would he feel the same way? And I'm guessing probably not. So, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, I I know what he was aiming for, but uh, I agree. He needed to frame that a lot differently if he wanted a positive response from people. If he's looking for a negative response, he certainly got it. Andy? I don't have any follow-up, really. I think we've covered it pretty well. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's go to Jay, then, for the next hot topic. All right. Well, that's good, because I I had one that I really had an issue with, and we kind of talked about it and preluded to it. Uh, Justin Haley failed pre-race inspection, in this case due to misplacement or incorrect uh, placement of decals. Because it's Talladega, a a super speedway, that affects the aerodynamics. NASCAR penalized them uh, with a pass-through penalty to start the race. So I know we've talked about that, whether NASCAR needs to do more with that. They did do it this weekend for what I found kind of an odd penalty of the, the decal, but... Uh, that was their reason for it. Well, he had two penalties, didn't he? Because he had to start at the back of the line, plus he had to hold on pit road for a lap. So he started a lap down. Right. Yeah, he had to do that pass-through penalty. Yeah. Kind of like what we talked about in the last show. Like Jay said, we, we, we had a little bit of a setup for it, and I think this is a, a great follow-on. Um, this is the kind of way that, that – that, teams can be penalized and should be penalized versus just go and take the regular green flag from the rear of the field, which we've seen and we've talked about it being a very little consequence for the majority of these teams. Uh, Justin Haley ended up losing a lap because of that pass-through penalty, and it really took him out of contention, especially the beginning part of the race, because he was struggling with being a lap down. That's a real, legitimate, tangible penalty that is difficult for a team to overcome, especially if they don't catch some breaks that go their way. Say, for example, you're on a shorter track, Martinsville, for example, and you've got to do a pass-through penalty under green at the start of the race, 
it's very difficult to come down pit road at a place like Martinsville or Bristol and not lose at least two laps, even if you don't stop in your pit box. So that's a very real penalty that it can be overcome, but it's going to take a pretty heroic effort and usually some help from others for a team to do it. So having a penalty like that with some teeth to it, I think is a move in the right direction. And I'd like to see that applied a little bit more broadly for other infractions that merit a penalty if they really feel like, you know, whatever it is the teams are are doing merits getting penalized. Well, a passenger under green is definitely a very legitimate penalty and a lot more so than starting from the rear or suspending the crew chief. And now he's just calling the race from a hotel room. Okay. Andy. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't much of a penalty in the grand scheme of things. He finished sixth. So, mm-hmm. in, in this case, more probably needs to be done. I don't know exactly what that needs to be, but, you know, maybe it's like a five-lap penalty or something like that, and then you have to spend the whole rest of the race trying to get your way back up there. And I think if anyone could come back from five laps down, um, that would be pretty impressive. So, um yeah, I don't know. Clearly, the penalty didn't hurt him very much. you got to give the team some credit for trying. <laughs> um, obviously, like Jay said, aerodynamics and making the car as sleek as possible at Talladega is very important, and I'll give the team credit for trying, but uh, clearly it wasn't a very uh, meaningful penalty when you can come back and finish sixth. Yeah, I have to agree. He still finished good, and I think probably what has to be taken into consideration uh, when thinking about some of these penalties um, is uh, the situation, the track that they're at and, and all of that. Um, but I think it is a step in the right direction. Uh, I've, I've, I'm kind of in favor of a graduated penalty. It, first time you're caught with uh, something uh, in this category or whatever, uh, you're going to get this penalty. Second time you're caught, it's a little bit worse than third time you're caught, then it's going to be even worse. Uh, now, I know people are going to play with that, too, but I, if you make it across the board, it doesn't matter what the penalty is. Uh, if you're caught once, you're going to have this. Caught twice, you're going to have that. Three times, it's going to be, it just keeps getting worse each time that they're caught, in other words. So it minimizes the number of times that these guys uh, make that risk versus reward uh, challenge to NASCAR. Um, and NASCAR's really got to be on their toes to catch these guys because uh, these guys find some pretty slick ways of getting around the rules. And uh, uh, i got to give them kudos that they caught this one uh, and tried to do something a little more um, uh, meaty, if you will. But I still think it, it could go even a little bit further. And I, I'm I'm all in favor of graduating it uh, based on the number of times that they're caught, the rule. Jay? All right. Uh, and this is going to be funny that Mike and I can and ra- can rally together with with uh, enthusiasm against something and be on the same side. Uh, Mark that one down. I like the fact. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. I like the fact that they did the pass-through. Yes, it's Talladega, but it did. He did need some luck and catch that break. Okay, you can't factor. In my opinion, you can't factor that in, though. I, I mean, that's no different than when they choose to pit. They're taking that gamble. Caution could come out their lap down. Mm-hmm. So, but he really did have to work at it more so than just starting from the back. 
just starting from the back, he might have still been able to get stage one points. That did prevent him from doing that. So there is, as Martin Truex said, your penalty, okay? You're, it's costing you the stage points in stage one, possibly. Uh, that's where I think, though, that, you know, and I talked about this uh, last time we talked about it, of you've got to start actually taking the points. If this is the first time, like you said, Sharon, okay, the pass-through penalty, you got to work your way back and probably catch a lucky break, especially you mentioned Bristol. You're going to be two laps down. You're going to need to race your way back on, get a couple of uh, the free passes, or make it alter your pitch strategy. Okay, cost you the stage point. Second time you're caught, okay, now we're actually going to physically take a point or two from you uh, in addition to possibly stage points that you might miss out on. So, and I, and I want to be clear, I don't know if they, I'm sure they didn't outright say it, but uh, the decal in the, in the incorrect positioning may or may not have been intentional, may or may not have been done to, in, uh, to gain an advantage. We're assuming that, uh, but it's more than likely that it was done intentionally to see what it would do and see if they could get it by NASCAR. That's my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't know for sure that it wasn't an accident or, you know, it didn't get flattened properly by their machine or however they wrapped the car or whatever. But uh, going on the base that it was probably done just to see what would happen, yeah, I think the penalty, and I'm okay with it being a pass-through, even if it's at Talladega. Like Mike said, he went a lap down. He had to catch a break uh, and, and, and then work his way from the back to the front. Yes, he came out of it. We know Collig's got good cars. Justin Haley's a good speedway racer. So he earned that sixth-place finish. Had he just been a uh, start from the back, he might have been leading early in the stages and ended up with the win and not six. So. Okay, Mike. Right, Jason. <laughs> This is twice in a row I've agreed with Jay, and it really hurts. So I, I hope you guys understand the sacrifice <laughs> I'm making here. But um, you know, Jay's, Jay's right. On a graduated penalty system, you've got to have a minor penalty. And you know, when it's a minor infraction, like a sticker out of place, which I don't, I don't think anyone can argue that that's any kind of a, a, a world-breaking infraction there, um, you have to have a minor penalty. Right now the minor penalty for most things is start on the rear. That's probably a little bit too minor. So – the next, you know, next level of minor penalty would be something like a pass-through, like what we saw this weekend. And I think that's a fair way to penalize a team. He's starting in a hole, but it's not an insurmountable thing. Versus if you just say, well, we're going to take 10 points from your period dot. Well, that's not something that the team can work hard and, and, and overcome. Um, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be on the table as a potential penalty for some, some sort of infraction, but – for a minor infraction, I don't see why you shouldn't have a penalty that can be overcome. Get your get your way out of the hole that you got yourself out of, and you know, like Jay said, the the eleven team earned their sixth place finish because you know they, they, they yes they had some advantageous breaks go their way with how the cautions fell and they were able to get their lap back, but at the end of the day. The team did well, and they they earned their finishing position to overcome the penalty that they got. And I think that's a fair way in both directions. It's it's a fair consequence for not doing the right thing, but it's also fair to allow the teams to uh, to work hard to get themselves back out of the hole that they dug themselves into. Okay, Andy. Yeah, no, I as far as follow up goes, I I don't really have too much here, other than 
you know, I don't really know if they should make the penalty more stiffer or not, but um, I'm not really sure, you know, but obviously he, he served the penalty that was given to him and, and he overcame it and finished sixth. So in my mind, maybe a little bit more needs to be done to make, make the point to these teams that maybe it's not a good idea to try to, you know, manipulate decals or whatever the case may be. And like, like Jay said, who knows if it was intentional or, or not, the, whatever the case is, it was deemed illegal and, and the penalty really wasn't that severe. So the only thing I can really close this out with is, you know, maybe it needs to be a little bit stiffer to prove the point that maybe, maybe it's not worth messing around and, and making sure that whoever's responsible for making sure the decals are where they're supposed to be, you know, are actually where they're supposed to be. Yeah, uh, I would just say this. It's a move in the right direction, but I think more needs to be done. And uh, hopefully NASCAR will will take a look at that and see what more they can do uh, to uh, penalize these teams with the idea that they stop versus uh, encouraging them to keep on doing uh, illegal things and kind of enabling that behavior. Uh, I think the penalty should be a discouragement and not an enabler. Jay? Well, and I think that's where the, the elevation factor comes in. You know, the first time in the offhand chance, it was unintentional. It was still illegal and wrong. So, again, Mike said it. A penalty you can overcome. If you work hard, maybe catch that break. Uh, you know, somebody somebody threw out earlier of five laps down. Okay, well, then you might as well DQ him and not let him run because nobody's coming back from five laps down uh, unless you're awesome Bill from Dawsonville back in the day. Uh, and I think that was only three, actually, two or three. So you don't want to make it. If, if you're going to go that route, then you might as well DQ him from the race and put him at the back from the get-go uh, and not even have him on the track uh, from that aspect. And if it comes to that, again, we've seen it. You take away the win or uh, finishing position if the, if the penalty is that way, why in pre-race do you get that second, third, fourth chance without what we consider a severe enough penalty? We mentioned it. The crew chief, this day and age, the crew chief not being at the track, not a factor. Even for some of your other teams uh, that maybe don't have the, quite the, the setup that, that some of the bigger teams do, that, that to have somebody fill in like that for one race really isn't that huge a deal. Uh, so it needs to be more than that, and, and that's where I think they really need to look at the elevating it, you know, per strike. Okay. Mike, you're up for the next hot topic. All right. Andy, you ready for this one? Because you know where we're going. I sure am. <laughs> All right. So me and Andy, we're, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and present this without biasing the discussion too much. But Andy and I have been talking about this uh, for a couple of weeks in the race day chat, but it really came to a head this weekend of excessive amount of time spent under yellow. It seems like a lot of the, the yellows the past probably two years or so have become progressively longer with a lot less reason why. And I'm curious to, want, uh, to know if you guys have, if step one, have you noticed it? And step two, what kind of solutions would you think would be appropriate if you have? Okay, Andy, you're up. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because 
especially on a on a day like today where time was of the essence with weather, um, there was a lot of just I hate to say just messing around, but that's what it looked like, you know, just seeing everything that's going on. And you can't always tell on TV what's going on, you know, as far as, you know, the length of these cautions and and what's actually taking place. But um, I I agree with Mike. I mean, you know, you, you hate to be critical, but I mean, my goodness, there was a lot of, a lot of time spent, under yellow that just didn't seem necessary, you know, and, and obviously I'm not the race director, but, you know, just, you know, trying to get jet dryers into position and, and, and trying to, you know, get debris picked up. And there's just, it, I don't know. It just didn't, didn't seem overly organized. And, and quite frankly, it, it, it seemed to take a long time. And, you know, obviously there's, other, you know, it, it's hard to necessarily compare it to other racing series, but other series have figured out ways to shorten the duration of cautions to get back to the green flag racing. And today's a perfect example. And I think, you know, we really noticed it today because there was a huge incentive to get to lap 94. Uh, because based on the weather forecast, I don't know if they would have been racing until Thursday or Friday, which would have been a problem. Uh, going into this weekend's racing in Charlotte. So there's a huge incentive to try to get the race to halfway. And under the caution flags that we observed, um, there was just a lot of time spent messing around. And and um, that's just my observation. That's my opinion. It's okay if, if any of you disagree with that. But um, I would be curious to talk to somebody in race control and find out exactly why things take as long as they do. I, I'm curious. I want to know because to me, as the race fan standing there today watching it, it seemed like a lot of time was spent um, that didn't need to be spent under yellow. So I don't know. It, it's just um, it's unfortunate because and thankfully the race was able to get in today and, and we don't have to worry about this for the rest of the week. But um, in my opinion, at the end of the day, just kind of unnecessary time spent under caution. And I'd really like to know why. Okay. Jay. Okay. I guess I get to be the one to volunteer to uh, not necessarily disagree with you, Andy, but hopefully provide some insight, but I will disagree with you that Mike doesn't like to be critical. Cause I disagree with that, but um, <laughs> well, uh, as as somebody that's that's involved, and I am not necessarily the race director. As the announcer, I'm up in the same area as uh, race director and the crew that's taking care of the track. Uh, for us at, at a dirt track, it, it's a matter of getting the car hooked up or off the track, picking up debris. Okay, on a three-eighths mile track, you can run around with a four-wheeler, pick up the debris, be done. On a 2.5 mile track, it takes longer to check it. And I don't know, I know that it, you guys mentioned one of the things was the jet dryers. And I believe that was following an accident, if I'm not mistaken. You want the track safe enough to go back racing 190 miles an hour. You're not going to get all the speed you dry up, get it swept clean, but you want it to be safe. So that's one thing. And again, it's a 2.5 mile track. Uh, I like the fact, Andy, that you said you'd like to talk to somebody within NASCAR, the race director or that crew, to find out why, and I'm sure they have an answer. 
sometimes it is things and I the track I work at in Jackson there are things where I'm like hey this can be done better we're killing time but there are some things that just uh, in our case you know not being able to hook up to a car properly uh, they don't have a bumper that they can hook up to or whatever yeah it uh, bode well for the fans that have to sit there and wait but that it happens occasionally uh, so as far as it being an overall trend, I don't know. Talladega, again, I give them the benefit of the doubt, if you will, that they spent the time to make sure the track was prepped and ready to go so we don't see an immediate repeat caution because of an accident because a car uh, got slick and, and slammed the wall. Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, Jay, you bring up some good points. Uh, I was just looking at the cautions for all three series. Uh, Truck Series had six cautions for 29 yellow flag laps. The Xfinity Series, very similar, five cautions for 21 uh, yellow flag laps. And in the Cup Series, uh, it was five cautions for 26 yellow flag laps. Uh, So all pretty much similar. But uh, I I think in addition to what Jay is talking about, there's also the commercial breaks, and NASCAR has to take that into consideration as well as far as their their uh, broadcast partners because they have an obligation to do X amount of uh, broad uh, not broadcast but advertisements, and uh, cautions are the best time for them to do those uh, is during the caution. So in addition to making sure that the track is safe. I think they brought up a really good point. They also have to take a look at their broadcast partner and where they are with their commercial commitments, if you will, uh, for the the racing. If it's all green flag racing, uh, there's it's harder to do the commercials. I will say that the uh, split screen has helped a, a, a great amount. Uh, uh, having said all of that, I do think that NASCAR has to take a look at it and maybe have a discussion with their broadcast partners on what they can do to streamline those cautions because there are some cautions that seem to be extremely long. Uh, So I get the points that you guys are making, and it's like, what the heck? Uh, It seemed like a minor thing for debris, a piece of debris on the track, Uh, but it's taking forever to get back to the to the green flag, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the broadcast partners. So, uh, as well as making sure that the track is safe, and the bigger the track, the longer it takes for them to review that whole track. Uh, to Jay's point, so I, I get the frustration. I'm equally frustrated with it, but uh, at the same time, I think that there's so many logistics that go into this, uh, and safety is one of those logistics. And I think the broadcast partners is another part of that equation. Mike? Okay, so you said the truck race ran 29 laps under yellow. And that's not counting the red flag period that took about – for six caution periods, 29 laps total under under caution, uh, plus plus a red flag period. So at a place like Talladega, 2.66 miles at 70 miles an hour, that is two minutes per lap. That means for 29 caution laps, the truck series was under yellow for 58 minutes. 
That's in addition to a 20-minute red flag period. And it's one thing to be frustrated as a fan sitting at home watching TV wondering, um, you know, why aren't they going back green? But look at it from the perspective of Kate Fogelman, a underfunded team, doesn't get a lot of TV exposure, but they wasted so much time during that race, during unnecessary uh, extra yellow flag laps and a very slow to finish up red flag period. They wasted so much time during that truck series race that Tate Fogelman didn't even get a post-race interview because their TV slot ran out of time and they had to go to different programming. So that's a very real consequence that had very negative repercussions for a first-time winner not to be able to even not just get his face on TV to celebrate his win, but you think of the partners that he has on board that truck. They finally break into victory lane with the truck that they supported, and they don't even get to get their logo on TV because that much time got wasted away on unnecessary you know, time under yellow. And it wasn't just this weekend. This is just, this, it kind of came to a head this weekend because it negatively affected all three races. You know, we already talked about the truck series race, not being able to have any post-race interviews. The Xfinity series race, they had to end the race five minutes early because they ran out of daylight. Again, wasting substantial amount of time under yellow and two red flag periods. And what I really think the root cause of this is longtime race director David Hoos retired two years ago, and I think his presence is dearly missed on the race control. Um, I'm not sure who's doing race control right now, but I can almost guarantee they're not a presence like David Hoots was. And I think it's a little bit of the inmates running the asylum, and the attitude is, well, it's going to get done when it gets done. And that was not tolerated with David Hoots. If you ever listen to race control on the scanner, whether it be on the mobile app or if you're at the racetrack and you're actually listening to race control scanner, David Hoots would lay the whip across people to get them to move, to get them to get the track ready to go as quickly as possible. And I think that sense of urgency and efficiency has retired with David Hoots, and we need to get it back because it's having very real consequences both for fans sitting at home as well as the competitors at the racetrack being cheated out of TV time or green flag laps or in the case of the cup race today, maybe they, I don't know if they could have gone the full duration with the weather, but they probably could have got an extra 10 or 15 green flag laps had they been a little bit more efficient in how they managed some of the caution periods today. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that. You know, I mean, we certainly echoed our frustrations when we were in the, the heat of the moment earlier too. And I just, you know, I just, like I said, I'd love to know, you know, what goes into the decision-making. And, and you bring up a good point about TV. Maybe it's coordination between Fox NBC and, and, and race control. I, I don't know. Um, Jay, I would like to contradict something you said. You specifically referenced a two-and-a-half-mile racetrack. It's not just there. It's everywhere. So the size of the track doesn't seem to matter. We still have excessive cautions everywhere. So I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think Mike brings up a really good point that – you know, some of the people making these decisions are probably relatively new, and it may just take some time, you know, to get quicker, to get more efficient in the decision-making, to make things quicker. Uh, We all know that David Hoots was in that position for a long time, was really good at that job, did a great job for NASCAR, and things tended to move a little quicker, you know, and whoever's doing it now maybe just needs some time to to, to get quicker at it, you know, and that's, and obviously there's a cup truck and Xfinity race director. Um, but you know, the theme tends to be the same across all three series, you know, but of course, 
in typical fashion, race fans will always find something to complain of because instead of throwing red flags in either Xfinity or truck and, you know, to, to preserve green flag racing, um, you know, I'm sure we, we would have complained if they had just ridden around under caution and, and blown away laps that way too. <laughs> you know, we always find something <laughs> to complain about. That's what we do best. And one of the things, you know, I, I do think in, in the case, especially some of those wrecks on Saturday, red flags were necessary um, to preserve the green flag racing we got. But it is interesting to me that both the truck and Xfinity races ran in their allotted time slots and one of them wound up getting cut short due to darkness because they just plain ran out of time. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so it is, it, it makes you wonder if, you know, maybe tweaking the times a little bit would help or not. I don't know, but in any event, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens down the road, but certainly there's always room for improvement and growth. And, and I think that, you know, things can be streamlined down the road and, and maybe made to be a little bit quicker. Uh, I think to me, what was eye-opening this year was a brand new series SRX was able to come in and basically make a caution, a two or three lap ordeal. And that was it, you know, and I don't know how they do that. I'm not sure why I realized the venues that they race at are different to some degree. We we have short tracks, they have short tracks, but um, I don't know if it's in their officiating or race control or what, but um you know, it's interesting to me that some series can do it quick, some can't. I don't know why that is. Um, like I said from the onset, it would be cool to sit down and talk to somebody so they can maybe help rationalize why it takes so long. Because um, uh, it is a bit of, it is a bit perplexing to me, especially, like I said, just sitting around today watching it. You know, there was uh, a couple, three times where, we really didn't understand why we were under caution when, when uh, they were. Okay. Jay, you follow up. Well, I kind of took a shot at Mike. I, I will, I will back that up with, I think he brings up a very, as Andy said, an excellent point. I think there may be something to that of, uh, David Hoots not being there anymore. And whoever is not the same authoritative figure, uh, with that motivation. So the, there probably is some truth to that. So you see that a little bit. But I still think when you're talking about NASCAR cup cars wrecking at the speeds they're going versus your local dirt track or, or a smaller track, uh, there just isn't as much to clean up. Uh, you know. So I think you do have to consider that of it. it is a difference. You can't compare one to the other. Now, are there things that can be approved, improved on? Yes, I would agree with that. Like I said, there's things I know uh, where I work, yes, that can be improved on. I, I know one thing that was mentioned was the, the response vehicles or jet dryers being in position and ready to go, taking time to get them lined up to even go out. You know, that's something that, hey, that could have been organized and prepared and ready to go uh, before they were needed. So, yes, there are things that can be improved on. Uh, and Andy, I know you brought it up. Uh, you're right. And I, I was thinking about that as far as my response of with you red flag, the race, so you save the green flag laps, and then you get the complaint that we're sitting here doing nothing. Okay. But if you know, burn, if you run them under yellow, then you're burning up green flag laps, uh, just to get to the uh, appropriate time or, uh, lap time in the allotted window. And I did want to address that, and I don't know that NASCAR has done any straight-up TV breaks, as they call it in football, 
but I hope not. Uh, I know there's been some manipulation, like with the, with with the stage breaks. Then that yeah, that they did the interview and did a commercial break. Then that maybe they do hold them for another lap or two till they come back. I understand that. I understand that's where the money comes from. But also then on the other end, Mike mentioned it. Something needs to be done differently when, especially you have somebody like he mentioned, Tate Fogelman winning, doesn't get a lot of airtime to not get that victory lane interview. I fully understand the frustration on that. So I think there, too, some improvements need to be done to make sure certain things get checked and a team that has earned their victory gets their due time. Yeah, especially a team like Tate Fogelman, because his first-time win for him, they work so hard, they don't have the resources that a lot of these other teams have. They, they are due that opportunity to have that celebration on TV. Uh, and and uh, I think it's a, a really a shame on NASCAR for that to happen. Now, Jay, uh, Sal brought up earlier that he thinks the races need to start earlier. This is a West Coast fan who's saying that the races need to start earlier uh, so that they don't run into the problem with the the uh, daytime uh, running out. Uh, at this time of the year, you're going to run into that problem earlier in the day than you would in, in June or in, in the spring because uh, you just have more daylight for a longer period of time. But uh, I do agree with you guys. I do think it's something that NASCAR needs to look at. Uh, there has to be ways that they can improve on it. I think they have to include their broadcast partners in looking for how that they how they can uh, streamline that time, uh, and they have to make sure that they're still doing things uh, that are going to be safe for the drivers. I don't want to sacrifice safety, and I don't think any of you are implying that but I, I just want to make sure that we're keeping everybody safe uh, while we're looking for ways to streamline this as well. Um, but uh, I do think that there's a lot of other factors that go into it. And I was thinking of um, uh, Scott Miller. Uh, I've seen him at the track and talked to him about being on the radio show, and I think he's open to doing that. Uh, it would be good to have him come on the radio show and maybe give us some insights on that as well. So I might reach out to him to see if we can make that happen, if I can still get in touch with him. Mike? I think kind of the overarching thing here is it's a, it's a sense of urgency or lack thereof. And I think that's really what's gone away with David Hoots is that, that sense of urgency. Andy mentioned SRX about, you know, why are they so much quicker than NASCAR seems to be these days? Well, I think the answer there is Tony Stewart and probably Ray Evernham. Everybody working there, they have buy-in, and they know that if they don't have buy-in to make the show as quick and as efficient as possible, that they're going to hear about it from Tony Stewart afterwards because Tony is the guy who's going to get in your face put a finger right on the tip of your nose and tell you that you need to get it together and you need to do your job better. And David Hoops was kind of the same way, and he pushed that sense of urgency. I don't know that there's any one individual specific factor that we can point at and say, this is what's holding everything up and this is what needs to change. I think it's more of a broad sense of urgency kind of thing. You know, just to give an example from today, we'd have the caution come out, and then they'd have almost a full lap under yellow 
before anybody aside from the couple trucks that responded just to the accident before any of the track cleanup guys or anyone would even come out of from the inside pit wall and then they would do the entire track regardless of where the accident was they would do the entire track blow the whole thing off at walking pace and then it'd be another lap, maybe two under yellow after that, the, you know, the, the jet dryers and whatever other cleanup crew after they went back inside pit wall. So now what should be a two to three lap, so a three to five minute caution period has now turned into a 10 to 12 minute caution period for no discernible reason other than people just taking their sweet time doing what they're doing. And the red flag to preserve green flag laps, I think that's a good idea but the problem is where we run into with we saw with the truck race and the Xfinity race this weekend is once that red flag comes out, whatever shred of a sense of urgency that existed before is completely out the window. And then the attitude becomes, well, we're not wasting laughs right now, so we're just going to take as much time as we need in order to make the you know, to, to do whatever we need to do. And there's really no need to rush. And that seems to be the prevailing perspective of, of what's going on in terms of getting the track ready to race again is, well, they're under red flag. They've got as much time as they need because we're not burning racing. Well, yeah, but you're burning TV time. You're burning daylight. And both of those became consequences of the amount of time that was spent under red flag uh, during the truck series race and the Xfinity series race. So getting that sense of urgency back, I think, is what is the critical thing that's needed in order to improve the caution process. Okay, uh, we'll let that be the last word. And Andy, it's your turn. Uh, yeah, I don't have any follow up on that one, so uh, should be good. No, I mean it's your turn for the next hot topic. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, looks like Austin Hill said he's not returning to Hattori Racing Enterprises for 2022. So, kind of an interesting move. I felt like. I wondered what you what you guys thought of that. Okay, Jay. Well, I'm not real sure what the reasoning is. If if it was a, a, a sponsorship deal, and we don't always know on that. I will say this: I know that they were a, a championship team, and Austin Hill has run for the championships, but not been winning it or uh, made it to the final four. So. Uh, it's a tough decision, I guess. And, and I say not knowing the details as to why, whose side, or uh, what the reasoning is, um, it's tough to comment on it. I think they made a good pairing and understand that they were in the championship every year but not winning it. And, you know, sometimes that's just not enough. Okay. Uh, Mike? It's a shame. I mean, like Jay said, Austin Hill has been close, but not close enough, it seems like. Um, I haven't heard anything about if he's leaving to go somewhere else or if we're, you know, this is just the last we've seen of Austin Hill. I don't know. Hopefully he does find something. Um, he obviously has the talent, and he's, he's shown that on the racetrack with multiple race wins and playoff appearances and whatnot. But I also don't know what kind of funding he brings to the table, and unfortunately – and, and, and this year's current, current year truck series and the Xfinity series 
it's not even so much your ability behind the wheel that matters. It's what kind of funding you bring to the table. And unfortunately, if you don't have that big backer behind you, and I don't know that Austin Hill does, it becomes very difficult to find another ride, especially if it's going to be a lateral move. I don't know that Austin Hill is on anybody's shortlist for an Xfinity Series ride. It's going to be a very difficult move to sell himself based on merit alone, especially when his resume is got close, didn't get close enough on several occasions. Okay. Uh, again, I kind of feel a little disadvantaged because I don't know all the details here, but uh, on a video that I'm watching here where Jamie um, Little is announcing this, it says that Austin Hill is leaving the Tory Racing Enterprises at the end of the season. Hey, 2022 plans Sharon, should be announced. Check the, yeah. check the clock. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Um, we are coming up to that uh, part of this night uh, that I need to let, uh, especially our first-time listeners, know that we are going off the air at exactly nine. I'm sorry, 10:30 p.m. Eastern time. We will, however, continue to record the rest of our conversation, uh, so you'll hear us go off while we're still talking. Uh, and I want to let you know how you can hear the rest of that conversation uh, uh, after we're done. What I'll do is I'll go out on uh, Twitter, and I'll let everybody know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to the player either at Blog Talk Radio or at BanforRacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark so that you can hear the rest of the conversation. So uh, did, we didn't want anybody caught by surprise and wondering how, how do I hear the rest of what they're talking about. Uh, that's how it happens. Uh, just watch for my tweet uh, that the podcast is available and then fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. So, yeah, my point being that uh, in making this announcement with Austin Hill, it was also said that his 2022 plans are to be announced later. Now, what's not clear is if that was for Austin Hill's 2022 plans or if that's for Hattori Racing Enterprises' 2022 plans. But Austin Hill obviously leaving. We don't know the details, so it's hard to speculate on what the reason is. It could be his frustration for the season that he had this year. Uh, Austin Hill's a championship contending driver, and he's out of the uh, running at this point. Uh, so there has to be some frustration for him uh, in that regard. But we know that Hattori Racing Enterprises is also capable of winning championships uh, because they won a championship. You never know if a relationship went sour this year uh, within the organization there or sponsorship. You don't know what it is. So it's hard for us to speculate as to why, but uh, – uh, I do hope Austin Hill returns back with racing, hopefully in the truck series. I like him in the truck series, uh, but uh, it'll be fun to hear what the plans are for next year uh, on both accounts for Austin Hill and for the Tory Racing Enterprises. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts? It's an interesting move to me. I, I felt like he'd found a good home there. He's been there for, I believe, three seasons now. So it's interesting you know, that, that he's going to be moving on. I can only suspect that uh, he might have something else lined up and he has not announced it yet. 
you know, possibly he's moving up to Xfinity. You know, maybe, I don't know. I have no idea, nor have I seen any rumor of what he's doing. But I did find, you know, that relationship to be good. I felt like they were consistently a playoff truck team. They consistently won or contended to win races. Um, but I suppose every relationship runs its course, and maybe that time had come to an end. I don't know. Um, obviously, a pretty big disappointment for them to be uh, eliminated after Bristol from the playoffs so early on. That's a team that's gone really deep into the championship, generally speaking, a championship for team. So um, I have to think that the decision was probably made even before that, so I don't know if that was a factor or not. But um you know, it is interesting to me that, um, you know, they're going to move on. That's one of those relationships that just seem to work, and, and I'm not sure exactly why it'll, um, you know, be coming to an end, but, you know, that, that's just how racing is sometimes. Um, you know, drivers and teams need to make changes, and, you know, they're going to make a change, and, you know, often I have to think probably has something figured out, and I guess we'll find that out soon enough. Okay, Jay. Yeah, ha- having heard that, I-, I would guess that at least Austin Hill has plans moving forward. Uh, I think maybe it will be in the Xfinity Series, maybe not with a top-tier team, but uh, time to move on has shown that he can compete for championships, gets the wins, can compete for championships, whether he got it or not. And I think Katori Racing is also going to be okay because I do think they'll be able to bring in a driver. Um, they've shown they are a championship-contending team, whether it be – somebody that new and young that they bring in and give the opportunity tour, or I think a veteran that wants to, and Matt DiBenedetto comes to mind to come in like John Hunter Nemechek did get in a top ride, go for wins, win a championship to bring his name back into uh, contention for an Xfinity or cup ride. So I think both of them are going to be okay. I think we'll see them both successful next year. And if I'm not mistaken, Hattori, uh, also is going to Xfinity next year, if I'm not, if I recall correctly. So to me, I'm, I was kind of thinking that maybe they're like, hey, if, if we're going to expand, we need to be winning championships to, to keep the funding and to get the Xfinity Series program moving as well. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Well, I like your optimism. I hope you guys are right that, that he does have something lined up. The thing that kind of concerns me is usually when there's a I'm not coming back announcement, there's usually some sort of indication of what the future on that is, whether it's good or bad. You know, for example, Matt Benedetto, I'm not coming back to the 21. I'm a free agent. Austin Hill is just basically, I'm not coming back, and it's like he's walking into the sunset. And I hope that's not the case. Like you guys said, he's a talented race car driver, and I think he does have a future in the sport if he can find the right ride for him, whether that be in the truck series, Xfinity series, or elsewhere. Um, but definitely – it, it just felt a little off that there was no follow-up of any kind of you know, hand-tipping of, yeah, I know I've, I've got something. We're putting the final details together before I can announce. There was nothing like that. Maybe that's still to come, and I hope that it is. But it just kind of struck me as a little bit odd the way it happened. Yeah, like I say, it says 2022 plans to be announced. Uh, so – I, I took that to mean for both of those, uh, Austin Hill and Hattori Racing Enterprises. So I, I think he is going to come back. Uh, I don't see him ending it 
this season uh, in the truck series. I, I do think that he is going to be racing next year. We just have to wait for his announcement to come out. Um, I don't have anything much more to uh, say to that. Uh, so, Andy, I'll let you have the last word here. Yeah, no follow-up on this one. I think we've pretty well covered it. Yeah, I was kind of scrolling through that. We got so many here. I'm going to scroll all the way up. Uh, this is one that, that I kind of want to talk about. And I'm sure Michael jump right in. NASCAR could take the charter from the number 51. Uh, a lot of talk about charters and how premium they are right now. And RWR has four of them, I believe. Okay. And you're talking about the number 51 in which series? The Cup Series? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that that would be in the Cup Series. And they are in that position of having finished, well, this season not being over yet. So, and the bottom three, the, the rule on the charter was if you finished in the bottom three for three consecutive years, NASCAR could take the charter from you. Okay, got it. Okay. I uh, just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, Jay's, Jay's right. I'm absolutely in favor of them taking that charter away from the 51 car and all the other Rick Ware charters for that matter. Um, they've demonstrated a complete inability to field fast race cars and a lack of desire to do so. There has been no improvement with Rick Ware Racing ever since they got those charters, and it's pretty obvious that Rick Ware Racing's primary business model is to be a charter holding company and field cars just barely sufficient enough to make minimum speed so that they don't lose those charters. And I really hope that that business strategy does come to bite them right on the rear end and they lose a charter because of it, because those Rick Ware cars, by and large, are – They're rolling chicanes every weekend if they're not a danger to the other cars that are out there or the pay drivers who have bought their way into the seat for that weekend to drive the 51, the 53, or the 15. So get those charters to teams that could use them, whether it be 2311, Junior Motorsports, Colleague, any of those other teams that would like to break into the NASCAR Cup Series but not having a charter makes it very difficult to do so. It's pretty telling that the 37 car from JTG Darty has put all three Rick Ware racing cars to shame combined, and they don't even have a charter on that 37 car, yet JTG is able to consistently field maybe not race-winning cars, but at least respectable cars that can hold their own every weekend, even without a charter and the revenue sharing that comes along with it. So, yes, I think that if you want to run in the back of the NASCAR Cup Series, that's great. But don't take a piece of the pie away from a team that could actually capitalize on it and do very well. And I think that's exactly what Rick Ware Racing is doing right now with those charters. Okay. It's interesting, too, that the 51 is driven by Cody Ware. Uh, the, the, the cars that they field are the 51, the 52, and the 53. The 52, of course, is driven by Josh Balicki, and the 53 is shared between Joey Gase and Garrett Smithley. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because, uh, I have to agree if they're not, if they're not in there really competing, uh, with the rest of the field, then it's time to, uh, do something about it, uh, and take that charter away from them. Uh, the whole idea of having the charter system was to eliminate the start start and park cars. And I'm not saying that Cody uh, that uh, 
Rick Ware Racing is a start and park team, but they're not out there really competing for victories, uh, and they haven't shown any growth toward competing for victories. Um, so I would like to see them uh, kind of make that growth at some point uh, and kind of take that to the next level. Uh, but <clears throat> right now we're just not seeing it. So uh, NASCAR is uh, doing what is part of the rules, uh, part of the agreement of the charter system, uh, and uh, by doing so they're taking that charter back. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be enough to motivate Rick Ware Racing to do a better job. Uh, I think that they would probably benefit from uh, going down to a one-car team and doing what uh, JTG is doing, uh, uh, kind of putting their resources behind one car and doing well versus having all of these cars, the 51, the 52, and the 53, which, by the way, is also driven by J.J. Yaley, and they've got the 15 here driven by James Davison. So uh, it, it just it just doesn't make sense to have that many cars and not do well. Why not pool your resources into one car that could be really competitive versus spending your money on all these different cars? Uh, they shouldn't have that many chargers uh, in my mind. And, Andy, I apologize to you. I skipped right over you. So what are your thoughts? Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, no, no problem. Um, yeah, you both bring up some really good points. Um, you know, it's no secret that, you know, there are race teams out there to win races and compete, and there are and there are race teams, um, you know, that are out there as a business entity, um, you know, to make money. And, you know, Rick Ware Racing is a team out there to make money, but not necessarily – try to win, you know, and, and that's understandable. I mean, racing is a business. Teams have to have to go out there and, and make an income, and that's exactly what that team is. And um, But at the same time, you know, to for NASCAR to, to take away a charter because of performance, 100% agree with that. Um, I feel like, you know, the more competitive teams we can get, the more people that are out there, actually trying to win and put on a show on a weekly basis. That's what we need. So um, I think it's probably high. Honestly, I, I'll, I'll say exactly what I said to Mike earlier today. It's, you know, probably uh, probably could stand to take away all four charters, you know, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, honestly, um, I don't think it's a bad thing what NASCAR is doing. I think it, it, you know, it shows that, you know their interest in getting more competitive teams out there is is in is in their best interest possibly, and that's what we need. Um, you know, and and so this is, you know, I, I don't think it's been announced yet. I think it's just a possibility. Um, but you know, I I hate to say I hope it comes to fruition, but it does because you know charters are hard to come by, and and it should be noted that there's a lot of interest in the sport from competitive teams, colleague racing, um, a second 2311 car, um, the possibility of JR Motorsports moving up to the Cup Series, GMS racing. These are all entities that intend to compete and, and try to win races. And I think it would be in NASCAR's best interest to try to help these teams make it to the top level 
versus a team that has four cars out there that have no intention of running better than 31st on a weekly basis. Um, you know, and, and I think when you look at the future, we're probably going to see more and more of these, these more competitive operations come into the sport. So if that's the direction we go, that's good. That's healthy for the sport. That's healthy for the future of the sport. And, and that is a hundred percent the direction we need to go. So uh, I don't see this as a negative thing at all. I think it's positive and maybe, you know, it helps bring more competitive teams into the sport and, and less of the riding around to collect a paycheck. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Well, first, I want to I want to thank Andy for clearing that up. NASCAR has not done it yet. It's they have that capability. The problem is, is they've had that capability since the charter plan was instituted. The teams have found ways to manipulate it and work around it by selling and trading and and, and charters and everything, which is why I don't like the charter system. Uh, from that aspect, I understand the intent behind it, giving the owners a uh, viable asset to sell out when they leave is a good thing. I think it needs to be found a different way. And again, I don't like the, we want more tri- or teams to come into NASCAR, but we're only going to give you four spots to race for because everybody else is locked in. I'm not going to get on that soapbox right now. The, what I want, <laughs> though, is like Andy mentioned, seeing the most competitive teams. And the fact that Rick Ware has, if he's there to make money, has had the opportunity to sell a charter for money. And yet a team found it more viable to entirely buy out another two-car operation than buy his charter. So that's where I think the issue comes in. But this rule has been in place since they started, and, and I'm trying not to get back on that soapbox, but it's been manipulated so I think it is time for NASCAR to do something about it, especially as we've seen a lot more interest in the teams Andy mentioned, junior motorsports possibly moving up. And there's a couple other hot topics to talk about with that of ones that are out there that may be moving for next year. So, uh, And I'll end this with a request. Mike, would you tell us how you feel about it? I mean, what are your thoughts really about it? okay so i don't think it's a matter of if rick ware racing downsizes from four to three to two to one cars they will never be competitive because that's not their intent they're in a very different business than joe gibbs racing hendrick motorsports or even a team like jtg who's not necessarily competing for wins every weekend but at least they're there to be competitive Rick Ware Racing is a completely different business that is taking place during the same time and at the same location that a NASCAR Cup Series race happens to be taking place at. And if they want to run their top-level Richard Petty driving experience for rich kids' business model, that's great. Make the field on speed. Don't sit on charters that teams like Dale Earnhardt Jr. or Matt Colley or, or uh, Maurice Gallagher can use to field actual competitive race cars with actual competitive drivers who want to go out and win races. And that's my frustration with Rick Ware Racing is they're not an up-and-coming team. They're not a team in development or in growth. They're a mature business model team that is there with the express intention of making money 
And I can't hold that part against them, but the part that I can hold against them is they're holding the, the sport back from growth. When you're looking at a $10 million cost of entry just to purchase a single charter, according to Dale Earnhardt Jr., that's a massive barrier for entry for team owners, potential team owners, who want to either break into the sport or expand their operation to be more competitive and put more competitive cars on the field. And part of the reason those charters are so expensive is you have teams like Rip Rare Racing sitting on them and basically using them to run, like I said, a top-level Richard Petty driving experience where guys can buy a seat in a NASCAR Cup Series car for a weekend and go around and LARP as a race car driver for the weekend and post their pictures on Instagram. And that's got to end, especially when you have so many teams who want to get into the sport but can't afford to do it because of the cost of entry. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I can't really argue the point. Um, you could you could argue that it's um, you know some of these teams in particular you know Rick Ware uh, we could you know his team you could you could argue that it's not really Rick Ware Racing it's Rick Ware Charter Leasing Incorporated or whatever the case may be but you know that's that is the part of of, of NASCAR that um, you know I think that a lot of fans maybe don't realize is there is. A, especially with the Xfinity series and the truck series, you know, there is, there is an entirely different, different business model in which, um, you know, riding around and, and just finishing the race is, is the MO, you know, and, and it, it's a business, you know, and I get that. I, I totally get that. But at the same time, it excites me to see growth within the sport and when you hear about so much growth on the horizon for the Cup Series, um, I hate to say this, but the elimination of teams that have no intention to compete at a high level in favor of a of a team that has every intention to go out there and compete and attempt to win or do the best they can on a weekly basis, that's what you want because the closer the competition, you know, the better the racing, the better the product, you know, and that's what fans – you know, the fans who spend the money on the tickets, the merchandise, whatever, the, the customers, if you will, you know, if, if it appeases them more and gets them more interested in supporting the sport, that's what we need. So um, I'm all in favor of, of more competitive teams. I'm more in favor of, of closer competition. And I think that if you can eliminate teams that have no desire to compete, in favor of teams who do have the desire to compete. That's exactly the direction the sport needs to go in. So I'm ever hopeful that we see um, more and more trend in that direction in the coming years. Okay. I don't really have much more to add from what you guys are saying. I agree that the short uh, NASCAR needs to take the next step here uh, with these guys, and, and that's basically it. So I'll go ahead and go to Jay. Well, you said it right there, Sharon. And uh, well, first off, I want to thank Mike for expressing his his opinion and being clear on it. Uh, I understand that opinion. The problem is is per and I'll get you with this, Mike. Per the rule book, Rick Ware is doing nothing wrong. The issue, as Sharon said, is NASCAR needs to take the next step. They can do something about it based on the rules they have put in effect to include the 100% rule. You've got to give 100%. Uh, so that's where I think we're at. Now, 
if if Rick Ware's sitting on him to to make some money again, tried tried the mark of, and we don't know that that's a truthful fact, but that ten million dollar mark has been put out there. We know that Colleg uh, Racing said, hey, it was cheaper to buy out another two car operation than to buy Charter. He didn't specifically point to Rick Rare, but we can put the pieces together. So, yes, and that's one where I think NASCAR does need to and make this thing better than it is. I still think that the whole thing needs to be revamped, but they could at least improve on it, and this would be that case. They're in a box where they've manipulated and, and changed uh, things around enough where they're in a jam now and there's nothing more they can do about it. I do think NASCAR does need to take it. And like Mike said, we get a better competitive team in there. Uh, I do see potential with them. I will say that. I think they need to do it at the Xfinity Series level, not at the Cup top level. Okay. Uh, We might have time for one more. Mike, I think it's your turn. Do you have another topic? I do, but it's a little deep, and we probably should wait for a little bit more information before we talk about this. So uh, let's, let's table this one until Thursday, and I'll pass to the next guy. Okay. Andy, that would be you. And I'll defer to Jay because I think we've covered the big ones. So, uh, Jay, what you got? Well, I don't know, not sure which one that uh, Mike was passing on. There's three here um, that I still see. Uh, we'll go with one. This one should be fairly quick, I think. Uh, Eggfinger going full time now with G- GMS in 2022. Okay, Mike, your thoughts about that? Well, it's great to see Grant Enfinger get a full time ride. I think he got a raw deal this year uh, after the performance that he put in last year, making the playoffs, making a very deep run in the playoffs, and then through basically financial reasons, wasn't able to secure a full time ride, whether it be at Thor Sport or at another competitive race team. Uh, I think Grant was kind of on the short end of the stick this year, and it's great to see him get a full-time ride in a competitive truck series team, and I expect some great things out of Grant Enfinger with GMS next year. Okay, Andy. Yeah, Jay, thanks for uh, bringing that up. That's actually a really good one that um, I overlooked. So um, really happy for, for Grant. And, and his ability to go to GMS racing next year. He's one of those one of those guys that um, you know has the talent to be there. He's always competitive. He wins races, uh, a championship contender, and he did get a bit of a raw deal this year, um, in my opinion, um, not being able to drive the Thor Sport 98 for the full season. He has run, I think, the majority of the season, also driving the number nine um, Chevrolet for CR7 Motorsports, but you know, it hasn't been the type of season I think he'd been looking for. But just a just a real good guy, one of those guys you can pull for pretty easily. And uh, for him to go full-time in a GMS entry next year means that uh, we can expect, I think, some good things from him. So a really good opportunity for him and uh, certainly was one of those announcements that um, I think uh, you, you have to be happy to see. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy for Grant Infinger. He's such a good guy. Uh, and to see him get this opportunity for a full-time ride again in the truck series uh, with GMS Racing is, is all good. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a guy more deserving uh, than Grant Infinger, who this year had to basically uh, go out there and, 
and uh, work on his own uh, to get his ride every week, uh, and he was able to do that. So uh, it just kind of tells you the kind of person that he is and how dedicated to racing that he is. So uh couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of picked this topic uh, for a reason out of the ones we had left uh, here at Fan for Racing. We're a team, even though we may vehemently disagree on some things. This is one I knew we all did. I mean, we all felt like Grant deserved to be in the playoffs this year. And I think he's proven that on the track, even being excluded from the playoffs, that he was still Mm -hmm. one of the top five, I say, teams that's out there week to week. So I think this is a win-win-win situation. For Grant Enfinger, for GMS Racing, and for the Camping World Truck Series to have him back and going for the championship. So, uh, great thing all the way around. And uh, good for us to end end that on the night here at Fan for Racing. <laughs> Definitely so. Mike, did you have any follow-up? Well, I'm gonna be, it's going to be interesting to see G, uh, what GMS does next year because, correct me if I'm wrong, they are the only team – next year, at least not that we know of so far, that will have at least one entry in the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series. Uh, we know Grant Enfinger is going to be driving in the Truck Series. We know Sheldon Creed is going to be driving in the Xfinity Series. And we've heard rumor about Ty Dillon in the Cup Series, but that hasn't been confirmed. So that's a lot of irons in the fire. It's going to be real interesting to watch GMS and see how they manage all three different teams in three different series and how that helps or hinders them in the future. Yeah, I was going to say that Sheldon Creed entry is actually an RCR entry. I hadn't heard that GMS is going to start up an Xfinity car. Maybe they are, and I missed it. I'm not sure, but um, I believe Creed's in in an RCR car next year. But um, they are going to have a cup car, and the rumor is Ty Dillon. I don't think that's been announced yet, but um, that's kind of the rumor floating around right now. But obviously GMS is – staying relevant, you know, with, with a, a cup entry forthcoming and, and multiple truck entries. Uh, obviously, they have been a mainstay in that series for a while. And, um, you know, I think this is a really good opportunity for Grant Enfinger to to go out there and, and be a championship contender for sure. Yeah, I'm really happy. GMS Racing is one of those teams that I've always been impressed with. Uh, they've been able to get, become relevant within uh, NASCAR very quickly as a new startup team uh, several years ago now. But uh, from the time that we've been watching racing, uh, we've watched them grow. And they they were on a pretty fast track there for a while. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see how they're able to branch out into the other series uh, Cup Series in particular, and uh, still remain relevant in the Truck Series. With a driver like Grant Infinger, though, you gotta you gotta think they're gonna stay relevant uh, in the Truck Series. And uh, uh, I'll be happy to hear the announcement when they choose to make their announcement about the Cup Series. And uh, I think it would be a good opportunity if it is indeed Ty Ty Dillon. Jay, your follow up. Well, Mike, you kind of blew it. I was trying to be all friendly and everything, but then you were going to make me uh, point out you made a mistake. But Andy did it politely as a fellow teammate to uh, just say, hey, I think you're mistaken. Sheldon Creed is going to RCR. 
GMS shut down their Xfinity program, went back to yep. just truck racing. And the topic I chose not to go with, because I thought it might be a little in-depth, is that possibility as they are rumored to have the charter. And I didn't want to get into where that charter came from because uh, I'd go on a, on a different direction. So uh, great deal for GMS. It will be interesting to see when they go cup. That's been rumored for a couple of years now. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, I do see good things coming out of it all the way around, though. Okay. With that, I think we're ready for our roundtable. Uh, Andy, we'll start with you. Yeah, CB14 fan on uh, Twitter, and as always, cool to be on the show. Um, really cool to uh, do the race uh, with Mike this weekend. Awesome to meet you, and uh, really cool to meet Tommy as well. So fun to, um, you know, to have a, a really strong fan for racing presence at the track today, and I'm looking forward to doing that again sometime down the road. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Mike, your uh, round cable. Sure, it's uh, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Same thing. Great to meet you, Andy. Uh, same thing for Tommy. I know we didn't have him on the air tonight, but uh, I didn't realize it, but today it was his first race ever that he's ever attended in person. Yes. Uh, I haven't talked to him since since we finished the race today, uh, but I'd be real interested to get his impression on not just his first Talladega race, but his first NASCAR race ever, uh, what he thought of the experience at Talladega and uh, – and how he's going to measure every other NASCAR experience have to, uh, against that one, because it's really hard to live up to Talladega. Well, I know he was talking about doing a fan at the track, so uh, hopefully we'll get that from him, and uh, you'll be able to get some of his thoughts there. Uh, Jay? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8, on Twitter and Instagram. And I really did want to go over there. I had some other things come up the, uh, this morning that I just wasn't able to, uh, unfortunately, because, I, again, I hadn't met Andy or Tommy. Uh, like Mike said, uh, Tommy said that was his first race ever. Uh, certainly would have been great to be a part of that experience uh, for any fan, let alone one of our fan yeah. for racing teammates. So uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, see what kind of different perspective that does bring from him uh, overall as well when he's on the show with us as well. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to come on on Thursday night. Uh, we'll have to kind of see how that goes. But uh, I'm glad you guys, uh, I take it everybody had a good time uh, from what you guys are saying. And I'm, I'm real glad uh, that you sent that picture on Twitter. That was really cool to see. And uh, I'm uh, hoping uh, that uh, Tommy does do that then at the track piece. Uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including FanforRacing.com, where we have all the recaps of the racing from this past weekend, including the Arkham and Art Series. Uh, Ty Gibbs uh, wrapped up the Sioux Chief Showdown Championship, and Jesse Love uh, had the thrill of his uh, career getting his very first Arkham and Art Series win. So uh, that was pretty cool to see as well. And uh, season finales are coming up here. Uh, one, two more races for the ARCA West, one more race for the ARCA Menard Series, and that's their season finale at Kansas uh, coming up here in October. So um, a lot to look forward to this Thursday with our preview show 
Uh, we will be previewing the races at the Charlotte Roble and uh, at, uh, hold on, what was uh, Arca West? Oh, they're racing at All-American Speedway this weekend. So uh, we'll preview all of those races and uh, definitely looking forward to that this Thursday night uh, here at Pampa Racing Radio uh, starting at 8.30 p.m. And, of course, our hot topics at 9.30 or 10, depending on how things go here. So uh, probably 10 o'clock on Thursday night. Uh, looking forward to it, and a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're listening to the live broadcast or our podcast. Uh, and, of course, to our fan for racing crew, here tonight we had uh, Sal Segala, as well as Jay Huseman, Andy Lasky, and Michael Ozell. So uh, thanks, guys, for all that you do. I appreciate you guys. And uh, looking forward to Thursday night's show. All right, have a great I think night. we're ready. To... Yeah, good night, everybody. Talk to you Thursday. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.